Kudrop, high slide for point, cutting it front, hold, two, three, four, point, What it's three nothing lightning with 5.24 left to go. Clear your calendar for Friday nights. There will be a game seven in Las Vegas. Cam Talbot with the shutout, his second of the series. Minnesota wins it 3-0. I'm just getting Dave Mishkin's call of the Braden Point Cole flushed out of my head here, Ziggy. Just just give me a second. Sort of recalibrate here for a moment. That needs to be my ringtone. That needs to be the alarm that gets me out of bed at four o'clock in the morning. Right there, I, that guy's voice. I love I love the goal calls though. I'm sorry. I know it's a little <laughs> annoying, but I I I like it. He's into it. He gets everyone fired up. And then you also get the other side. You get people that can't stand it, but it's almost like you can't turn it off. Right. You want to keep hearing it. So He's doing his job. He's got he's got the crowd that loves the calls, and he's got the crowd that annoys him so much they just they have to keep listening to. Oh, him. it's great! It's great. I, I can't yeah. tell you how many times we've talked about maybe trying to book Dave Mishkin through the years, and we've actually made attempts, and it hasn't worked out with his schedule and stuff like that. And then we forget about it and come back around to it. We got to get Dave Mishkin. On the, the show. schedule. What do you mean schedule? Like, what else is he doing? Well, He's we're calling up right the games. Ne- <laughs> we're up right and early in the morning. We can't hey, get Dave him at eight at eight thirty. Are people like, are people not up at eight thirty? What's going on? Well, My pe- day's almost over at eight thirty. <laughs> people who work till eleven o'clock at night aren't usually yeah. up at eight thirty in the morning. Anyway, yeah. all right. So April the twentieth, two thousand four. What were you doing then? You probably don't remember. That's um, the last time. I can tell you what I was doing. I was in the I was in the minors playing. Or no, I wasn't in the minors. That would have been my my th- uh, third pro year. I was with the Herc. Uh, yeah, I was actually not doing anything. I was out of the playoffs, <laughs> sir. You're that right. That was the longest answer to. I, I was just trying to. Th- I can't I remember. I was in the playoffs. Some, no, I might have been in the playoffs in the minors because my first couple of years in the NHL when the season ended, I would go down and play in the playoffs in the minors. I'm just trying to think if I made the playoffs. In that 2000, who, because the two was that Lowell? Who was that? Yeah, Lowell. Because I was trying to think of the lockout. The lockout was 0405. Right. Right. So it would have been the last year before the lockout. I was with the Hurricanes, played my second year, was up and down all year, and then finished in the minors. But what else was in 04? <laughs> April the 20th, 2004 was the last time the Maple Leafs clinched a playoff series. Oh, boy. And if you're a Leafs fan and you're old enough, you remember Patrick Laleem temporarily turning into a really bad version of Tony Fernandez on a couple of Joe Newendike shots. And, yeah, I remember, and that I remember was the that. difference. Now, yeah, I remember the, the Laleem. The, yeah. talk up, the talk up there in Ottawa, because that's where I was living and working at the time, and it's 
I don't know if Laleem himself has ever confirmed it, but he was he was playing on a pretty wonky knee. Like there might have been a slight tear of one of the ligaments in one of his knees, and he was clearly the best option in goal for the Senators. I think Martin Prusik or somebody like that was was backing up at the time. So it was Laleem's game. But he cratered, and, and that helped the Leafs, and they got past the Senators in seven games and would, of course, go on to lose to the Flyers in six and Jeremy Roenick scoring the series-deciding overtime winner in that sixth game at what was then the Air Canada Centre. Well, the Leafs haven't won a playoff series in more than 17 calendar years, Zig. I think it happens tonight. Yeah, I, tonight's it's going to happen, and I don't... I don't. I don't want it to drag on. Am I worried that the Canadians are going to come back and win three in a row? No. I'm just like we said at the start when when Winnipeg went up by three. Right. We knew that was pretty much closed out. Um, they did it in four. And now, if you're the Leafs sitting here, you don't want this one to drag on. And if it does, I'm I'm obviously going to be a little bit more concerned going against Winnipeg. I, I don't know how you wouldn't be concerned. Every team, once it closes out and you know who you're facing, you you want it to start. Well, I'm curious to know is, um, you know, are how quick would they get the next series started? Is Are they just going to start in two days? So then what, right? Like another game, like if it goes to six, okay. But then if it goes to seven, I think that's a lot of hockey and then getting the next series started. So... Yeah, you want to take care of business tonight. Don't want this to linger. I just, you don't want to give Montreal any hope. You don't want to give Carey Price any hope. That's what that's what it's about. Uh, and is it, are they going to win? Yes. Can the Canadians come back? The odds aren't with them, right? But like I said to start the series, I don't want to give Carey Price an inch. Nothing. I don't want him to get, start, you know, we've seen some of the saves he's made so far. Um, especially early on in games, like a, most of the time when you have these big saves, teams find a way to win those games more often than, than not. Montreal just has so much trouble scoring that uh, it hasn't gotten to that point with the Leafs and, and Habs, right? So you, know, you just, you don't want to give a team any life. That's part of it. And yeah, you want to get ready for, for the Jets. You want everyone feeling good. And another part that I was kind of thinking about last night, talking with a couple buddies is I think it sends a message to the rest of the league. Like I think the rest of the league is like Leafs are one of the teams they're watching and they're watching for a, a number of things. Ha, is this a new team? You know, Thorne's here. Simmons is here. They trade for Felino. They know about the big four. They know about the reputation around Matthews and Marner and, they're known around the league as a as a regular season team, right? And I think this sends a message saying we're different. Things are different this year. We've taken that next step. So are they going to win the series? Yes, but I think it's important to close them out. Um, I mean, prior to the series, I said it was important to close them out in four or five, but you want to send that message that once you get past Winnipeg and whoever they play in the third round, that they're going to know, but if they let, if they look like they have a hard time against the Habs, um, teams will, will kind of, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll know that this team isn't, isn't at that point yet. Right. Where they, uh, they're maybe they're not different. Maybe it isn't a different year. So, well, and it's it also, it's also eliminating stupid and unnecessary complication at this point. 
Like, if I'm the Colorado Avalanche this morning, I'm pretty happy right now because I'm getting a Vegas Golden Knights team that could have put the Minnesota Wild away in five games. They're going the full seven, or I'm getting a Minnesota Wild team that's left it all on the table to come all the way back from a three-to-one deficit and a team that's probably going to have to start the next round against me, the Colorado Avalanche, two nights after it eliminated its previous opponent. The Leafs are in a position here now, Ziggy, and and we we understand for the Canucks-related reasons that the North Division is a little behind in terms of the number of games played. And so a five-game series victory in normal times probably gets you the better part of a week off. That may not be the case here, but it's probably going to get you at least three or four days off. And then mm-hmm. and then you're going into game one with Winnipeg on even footing. Uh, uh, injuries mm-hmm. aside, you know, wherever Nick Foligno's at and how he feels, John Tavares, we don't imagine will be will be back for game one against Winnipeg and could be a, a while still. But injuries aside, from a fatigue point of view, it would be nice to be on equal footing uh, because I think this Winnipeg team, obviously after tripping and stumbling down the stretch, <clears throat> found something against the Oilers. Connor Hellebuck was awesome. Like, the Leafs are in tough in the second round. You don't need to complicate this any further by dragging this thing with the Habs out. No. And the whole thing with Winnipeg and Edmonton, you got to remember, those were three OT games. And a one-goal game, game in game one that had a yeah, couple of empty netters. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's it was a lot closer than people think. And I know we didn't talk too much about Winnipeg-Edmonton. We mostly were focusing on McDavid and Drysaddle and how can you have two of the best players and have the best player in the league. And you have a goaltender that was really good in Mike Smith lose four straight. It happens like this. This is, this is what the playoffs are about. You know, those three games go the other way and this is a totally different situation. Then it's a full series. Then it's Edmonton in five, right? So I, I'm, I think Winnipeg's better than most people think. Um, I just their defense is 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 a question mark for me, but I feel like with Hellebuck back there, you know, he you can make the odd mistake, you can get away with being hemmed in your own end for a little bit longer, you can give that odd breakaway up, and you know you're going to get that stop out of him. He really is a difference maker, and you just you watch like Vasilevsky last night in the Tampa Florida game. It's like when Vasilevsky or or Hellebuck, when they want to take control of a game, it's like they shut the door and it's over. Like Florida last night didn't have a shot. Like there was no time during that game where I was like, okay, yeah, like I can see this going seven. Like, yeah, Florida's got it. We're going to see an awesome game seven. At no point last night did the Panthers kind of say, okay, we're in desperation mode here. Let's do it. It's it, It was Vasilevsky shutting the door. And Florida looked like a team that just didn't have anything going, like nothing. They couldn't, they couldn't string anything together. And that's that was it was all Vasilevsky. And there's not many goaltenders that do it. Carey Price in his in his prime is one of the guys. Um, like I said, Vasilevsky's there. Hellebuck's definitely there. Um, Flurry, for the most part, when he gets in that mode, he's there. I think Freddie Anderson can do it, and I know it's tough to imagine that after this, you know, what he the play the playoffs that we've had here in Toronto and and the season he had this year. But you know, 
he's he's logged a you know he's he's played in a lot of games uh, and he's a guy that I just if if you put play put goaltenders in different situations on different teams you see different parts of them and you know when when you play as many games as a guy like Anderson you have to kind of respect that I know the success hasn't been there for him but he's been up there if you look at goaltenders and and the workload that's what it all comes down to it for me right so price is there anderson vasilevsky um halibut but yeah last night vasilevsky shuts the door it's you don't have anything and i that tampa bay team like who's gonna beat them when they're playing like that like i i don't know i i don't know who beats them when their points going and the the one timer to Stamkos from the left side, like Kucherov, can, uh, they got so many options on the power play. Yeah, the Kucherov, Hedman, Stamp. It's just that one timer from the left side. I don't know how Stamkos gets those off, and that's one thing. But then he's accurate. I was there for. I did the pre and post with. Um, I'm pretty sure I did a pre and post with with Gord in you know at Scotia. And I'm not sure why I was there for a pregame skate. Um, or you know what it was? I was doing the Marley's game and the Tampa Bay. I think they're playing them later in the night. I think it was like kind of a doubleheader thing. So I was watching the Tampa Bay's pregame and literally Stamco sat there with probably 200 pucks taking those one-timers on that left side. I always like, I watched the game last night. He puts that in. It's just... They, they were talking about putting it in the wheelhouse and whoever was doing color was just kind of like, I think it was color doing and saying, you know, Stamkos has the biggest wheelhouse in <laughs> in the NHL. And I agree with it because I don't know how he gets those off. And then he's accurate with them. Like I, I give Kucherov and Hedman who are usually the two guys feeding them the puck there. They're pretty accurate. They put it in the right spot with the right speed on it and the right spin. But Stamkos is the, you know, you, you can say Ovechkin is dangerous from the left side, but I, if I had one timer set up, I would take Stamkos there instead of Ovechkin against a good penalty kill. We got text rolling into 59590. Robin Strathroy, you think Dave Mishkin is excited? Wait until you hear Bonesy after the Leafs bump off the Habs. And I think we've started something else, Siggy. What were you doing in April of 2004, the last time the Leafs won a playoff series? How about this? David and Waterdown, I was just starting to date my ex-wife. Okay. 17 years. 17 years. You can get a, you can get a lot done in 17 there years. There are kids would... who were born right around the time the Leafs laugh, last won a playoff series who were about to graduate high school. Like, that's all you need to know. There are kids who've been little, who've grown up, who are about to go to college or university, who've never seen the hockey team in this market win a playoff series. There's an entire generation yeah. that could see it for the first time tonight. Tonight. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, yeah. I I don't know if, it, like, I'm excited. I, I just, we've, ex, we ex, we're the favorites and we expect to beat the Canadians. I don't know why I, I, I'm just, I'm, I don't think I'm as pumped up as everybody else. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I don't think I'm as excited. I don't know if it's I'm, the fact that I expect them to win. Um, The fact that they're, up 3-1, the fact they've looked dominant, the fact that Campbell, I have no questions with him in net. Um, 
This is going to sound maybe, horribly arrogant. Maybe, I'm not so much excited as I am. Can we just get the damn thing over with? Because as arrogant as it sounds, it's felt, even back after the game one situation, it's felt like it should be a formality. Let's have the mm-hmm. stare down with the peg. Let's get to Winnipeg. Let's deal with the Jets. Whatever happens there happens. But the goal here is the final four. So I think it's just let's not screw around. There's not going to be a parade down Young Street or any of the other things they love to say about us in other markets. Let's just get this the hell over with and not complicate it in the way that the Vegas Golden Knights have. And I would say the Minnesota Wild are a better hockey team than the Montreal Canadiens. So those two don't necessarily directly compare, but you get my point. Finish it off when you have the chance. And when was the last time, Zig, the Leafs won a, a playoff series in five games? All those Burns teams went seven. When when they won series, they lost in five to the Canucks in 94, but they, they went seven. The Quinn teams, I think, won a couple of series in six. I don't think they ever walked out with a five-game series win. It, it's been our lifetimes, more or less. Mm-hmm. Like, get yeah. it over with. Yeah, and, and the other thing is maybe that it's been so uneventful hockey. Like, there hasn't been all this back and forth, lead changes, you know, games coming down to the last second. Like, I, I just, I don't know what it is when I look at this series versus everyone else. Like, even I know the Winnipeg Oilers series was over in four, but they had three overtimes, right? And a and a one goal game. Like I know that was only four and 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 Winnipeg didn't look like it was too much trouble, but even that was an exciting series. Like I'm looking at the rest of them. Um maybe the Avalanche St. Louis. I, I don't think that not a lot was going on there. Those were p- four pretty easy wins for the Avalanche. But with the Leafs and, and Habs, it's just I, it's like there's no fans. Um you know, just not not a lot of excitement in a series for me, and I'm I'm trying to figure out what it is. I don't maybe well, no OTs. I don't know. I, I think it's the expectation. It just hasn't been the same. And I also think it's hard not to watch the the scene on Long Island where the fans are. I mean, Islanders fans are they get a bad rap, but they watch so much bad hockey since since the Stanley Cup years of the of the early '80s. But when they fill that place or they fill it to the capacity right now that they're allowed to, they are loud. They are really loud. And then we're watching, uh, you know, you're flipping around the channels or you're catching the highlights. Like the atmosphere at Madison Square Garden last night for the Hawks and and the Knicks. Right? The atmosphere in Philly for the Sixers Mm -hmm. and the Wizards. And you're looking around going, man, now we see, Zig, what we don't have. We can't have it yet. I think most of us understand why, but we know that it's just around the corner and we're seeing everybody else have it. And it, and it leaves you with a bit of a pit in your gut, wishing yeah. we could have it too. No, I, yeah, and I, I, I want fans. I can't wait for it to happen. Maybe it's the second round. Um, I mean, I, I know that might be next week, but I like we've seen, things can change that fast, can't they? Can't they just come get all our medical officers together, line everyone up, all have a meeting and just say, okay, we like where we're at. Um, well, we have that thing. We have to like where we're at first. Yeah. And I just, I mean, like, where are we? I haven't heard anyone talk like, so maybe it's next week. Maybe it's next week where 
I am curious to know how many people actually will like for a second round of the playoffs. I think there's a lot of people that won't, wouldn't go to a game right now. I know, I know people that not until the vaccines completely rolled out, they're not, they're not going to go to a sport event or a concert, you know, but yeah, maybe, you know, the U S is ahead of us right now. Right. I mean, that's what, how else do you see it? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I think we've got more people vaccinated now per capita we got a much smaller population, but yeah, it's a combination of things. Uh, they have a much larger budget. Uh, I think we're aware than, than our country. And so they were able to spend and then they were able to push it out. And a lot of people have gotten their at least first doses. So that's, that's a good thing. And, and it's, it's a sign of things to come. Uh, Glenn and Barry, uh, the Leafs did sweep Ottawa once. Yes. That was in 2001 as the seven seed 20 years ago as the seven seed <laughs> and the senators were the two seed. And I think the senators had taken all eight regular season games from the Leafs that year. Uh, yeah. But uh, Glenn, just to prove that I'm right, I, the, the Leafs didn't win that series in five because <laughs> I'd made the point as I went a Quinn team ever win a series in five. Oh, so we're getting called. We're getting called. Yeah, out. Oh, I got called on my crap, but I remember it well. Of course. And I was in college at the time. And in Ottawa, and man, was I walking around in my Sundin jersey just being a complete <laughs> you-know-what for a couple of days after that. Yeah. They can't handle they can't handle losing to the Leafs up there. Let's see. Jordan in Etobicoke, I was getting ready to marry my wife. 17 years now, and we've got two kids. Uh, 416 number. I was in grade four the last time the Maple Leafs won a playoff series. I'm now six years into my career. Silent Vic okay. said he was in grade eight. Oh, gosh. Well, assistant <laughs> producer <laughs> Hayden must have been in kindergarten or grade was, one was or he, something yeah, like was that. He, was, he, was he around? <laughs> yeah, like grade two or grade two. There you go. Like crazy. It's been a while. Yeah. I'm, People are are hungry for, you know, success in Toronto with the Leafs, right? It, it's been it's been so long. Yeah, I I mean, what what a first I, the thing is I don't even know if winning the first round would do it. Like I I don't even I don't even know if that would satisfy everyone. I, I don't think anything short of the third round. Yeah, I I don't yeah I don't I don't I don't think I'm gonna say the majority of Leaf fans they go out against Winnipeg like if it's a seven game series and overtimes and the team plays great I could see uh, you know part of Leafs Nation being okay with it but the majority of them if they don't get gotta get past Montreal first but then Winnipeg yeah there's gonna be a lot of unhappy people in in, in the city and I don't I don't blame them because this is a good team it was built for the for the playoffs, they brought all you know Felino in. I know it's unfortunate with a couple of the injuries they got going right now, but that's why you have depth, right? That's why you go out. This is what it does. This is what the good teams. This is how they get tested. Toronto's not the first team to have two of their better forwards go down, right? This is one of those times where who who do you have in your system? Like the Brooks, the Engvalls, right? The Robertsons, like what? Where, like, what are what are they going to do to contribute? It, it's not always the, the guys that play twenty. We talked about Matthews and Marner a lot, and you know where 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 are they right now? How much you know? Are, are we going to see the same production out of them in the regular in the postseason as we did the regular season? And I think Matthews has been really good for the most part, but 
Nylander's been the story, right? And we've been waiting for that. We've been waiting for this, the playoffs where Nylander is going to take control. And it's a, it's a guy that, you know, so polarizing and half the city loves him. Half the city, you know, gets frustrated, but this is one of those times where I, I think depth is the most important. We always talk about the big guys stepping up and it all, you know, what it comes down to is what your, you know, your top guys do. And in, in this situation, I think it's important, you know, how the depth is getting tested. And I like it getting tested early, especially, especially against Montreal. So yeah, this is, it's an exciting time. But yeah, close it out tonight. Don't let it linger and, and then get ready for Winnipeg. Kyle Bukowskis of Hockey Night in Canada, Stewie and Bourne, all ahead on the show. We'll do a little Hockey Central at 8.30 with uh, Anthony Stewart and Justin Bourne. The Blue Jays were rained out or weathered out somehow, some way in New York last night. Forecast was actually okay, save for a little bit of thunderstorms, but they decided to knock it off. They'll play two games today, starting at 4 o'clock here on Sportsnet 590. The fan Alec Manoa will make his debut, we believe, in game one, and then Robbie Ray will pitch the nightcap in game two. Blair and Barker for a pregame baseball central at 3 o'clock today, and Kevin Barker will be with us for the full half hour at 7.30. Uh, we'll also talk to Gordash, former uh, Toronto Blue Jays GM, in the 8 o'clock hour about what to expect from Alec Manoa. A couple of fan incidents in the NBA playoffs. The biggest one in Philadelphia involving Russell Westbrook of the Washington Wizards. We'll discuss that. Baseball and pitchers cheating. The Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt, goes off. And Elliot Friedman said last night what we should expect for John Tavares in the coming days. Well, we started something on the uh, text line, Ziggy. 590-590. What were you doing? Where were you the last time the Maple Leafs won a playoff series, which was April the 20th, 2004? You are just absolutely throwing back a celery juice. Is that a celery juice? It's very green. You've gotten good at this. Well, it's green. What? It's not red pepper juice. Buddy, buds, it could be a million different vegetables. You've, like, nailed the I've actual nailed this, juice. the celery color? Like, you can tell the difference between a, a straight celery juice and, like, a kale, cucumber, lemon mix. Yeah. You've got that's some that's over like over FaceTime. I mean, that takes that's skill. That's pretty man. impressive. <laughs> yeah, it is. My my kale lemon well, the lemon I assume lightens the green just a little bit. I don't know. That's a thick, that's a rich green. Well, yeah. I think it's green. I'm colorblind, so it's per, it's pretty much green. It's very green. Take is my it word green? for okay. it. No, I wouldn't mess with you. I got no reason to lie about the color of what's in that bottle. It's it's very green. It is as green as it gets. Let's see here. Allison on retainer, our defense attorney on retainer. When the Leafs last won a playoff series, I was a second-year law student. I've since graduated, articled, worked as an associate for five years, and been a partner at my firm for a decade. Oh, wow. Well, that's a lot. That's, that's leading a lot it right of, now. That's a lot of that's, stuff in 17 years. <laughs> that's more than I'll ever yeah, well, sure, in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like I said earlier, kids who were born 17 years ago are close to graduating high school. I mean, that's that's where it is. Uh, but the Leafs can lock it down tonight uh, against Montreal, and we're just we're saying don't screw around with this. Get it the hell over with. 
get get a few days off here and and get rested and get ready mm-hmm. for a Winnipeg team that's also going to be rested. You know, the guys have been talking a lot about John Tavares' involvement, Ziggy, since he got hurt. William Nylander was saying that John is heavily involved in the group text and is FaceTiming with the guys after the games. He actually showed up at the facility. And, I mean, that's that's got to lift people's spirits uh, just to see him up and well, whatever well means, but well enough to be up and and around the guys. Here's Elliot Friedman on last night's broadcast about what the immediate next steps are for John Tavares. Where will Tavares and the Maple Leafs kind of go from here? And his next step will be some very light exercise, followed by increasing intensity of of that exercise if he can handle it on a daily basis. Now, it is possible that some of this light exercise may include a skate, just to see how he can handle that as well. And as you can imagine, because it is a concussion, both the Maple Leafs medical team and Tavares' own medical team will be very careful with him. But that's what we're expecting next, is some light exercise by Tavares just to see how he can handle it. And I don't think there's a whole lot to say there, Ziggy, other than from your perspective, you know what you've been through. So it's a, it's a positive that John is going to start light exercise, but there is no guarantee that he's going to feel one way or another after that light exercise. So it's really just going to be about how he feels after he exerts some energy. Yeah, some guys are fine a month later, and some guys never get better. So a, a lot comes to play in, into how long, you know, the recovery process. And I just, it's so hard to sit here, and I, I know Elliot's talking about some kind of, everyone wants to know a timeline, right? Like sprained ACL, we know that. Uh, separated shoulder, we know that. Uh, torn hamstring, we know that rolled ankle sprained ankle we all kind of have an idea about that with the concussion i can't see i can't see john tavares coming back this playoffs even if they go in into the end of june and and july i just i i don't expect them back so you know i i don't want to be the one you know to bring the bad news but after watching that injury i just and the thing is he probably feels okay like if he's showing up at the rink already Either he feels great and he wants to start, you know, the light exercise, getting ready for a comeback. Or the more important thing is just to show the guys that he's fine. You know, you show your face, you show that you're walking around, you know, you have lunch with the guys. And I think, I I know it's been a couple games. I know, I know they've played four games that happened early in the first, but it, I'm sure some players still feel and still have that, you know, that image in their mind of him going down and getting hit like that. I I don't think you can just, you can delete that from your memory, watching your captain get hit that bad and being stretchered off. And then all of a sudden you're good a week later. Like it, it, I I don't, I don't think all the whole team, I I don't even think some of the Canadian, I I think it affected the Canadians players as well. So the fact that Javaris comes back in the room like that, it goes a long way. Just not even the whole health aspect of, you know, is he going to, the timeline, is he going to come back and play in the playoffs? This is as much about that as it's more about showing the guys on the team that, you know what, he's moving around. He's looking good. This isn't going to be some long-term damage. You know, this is a guy that's going to come back and play. We're hoping he can come back in the playoffs. If not this year, for sure next year. So 
I think that that helps the guys that that are going into action every night. So you get your captain back, but yeah, the whole and th- and then the other thing about him starting to work out, all the research has changed with head injuries, right? So when I had mine, it was it was told like dark room and don't do anything. That was seven years ago, eight years ago. So now it's tolerance of light as much as you can. So like go in the sun. Now it's workout, light workouts where your heart doesn't, it, your your beats per minute doesn't go like through the roof. You just want a nice steady, you know, heart rate. And then also you just don't want the bad headaches with the workout. So before it was like dark room, don't do anything. Don't talk to anybody, sunglasses. And now the all the research that everyone's done, it's actually the opposites, the better. So I'm sure he's going through all that and he has the right professionals that he's working with and you want him to get better, you know, as soon as possible, even, even forget about hockey. You just like, we talk about, he's got a young family and you have to do the right things to, you know, make sure he recovers the right way. And I'm more concerned about that than him coming back. But yeah, Leafs nation, like when's your captain coming back? Like that's, that's what everyone wants to know. And it's going to be the talk every week. We're going to hear about the timeline of John Tavares. I just, I just don't want people to get their hopes up too high, and I'm I'm gonna let you, I I'm I give them I give them a ten percent chance of or less of coming back in the playoffs. Well, and quite frankly, the only thing that matters is that he comes back when he's well. So if that's but the thing is, he's not gonna. The thing is, you don't know. And they said, like I told you, right? I had a hit. I had a hit very similar to to like I was sick when I saw Tavares get hit in game one. I had the same thing happen eight years ago. I still get therapy every week. So, and I went to the doctors within 48 hours and said, yeah, I'm fine. Like nothing's wrong with me. Like you don't know. That's no, the, but, that's the but hard what part I'm saying, injuries. But yeah. what I'm saying is, is that he ramps things up as he feels it's appropriate and he's coming through all of that and just has generally been feeling good over a relatively long period of time. Like I yeah. don't, I don't think he can just roll into the practice facility or Scotiabank arena next week and say, well, I've, I felt good for the last three days. So coach, I, I want to strap him on and, and get in there like that. That's just knowing not going to happen. Knowing him and the, and people I know that know, like it, he's going to try to come back for this Winnipeg series. Like I, I don't doubt that if you ask John right now, yep, I can probably come back at some point in the, in the next series in, in a second. I, I, I no doubt at all. I, I, but yeah. that should be the goal. That should be what yeah. you want to do just, and what you desire to do. You just have to, that's why you also have people in your life who help you make the responsible decisions for yourself. And that's where I don't know if things have changed in the NHL with teams, with his own camp, like a guy like John Tavares, you're going to have to have a lot of people, a lot of specialists. I think you're going to need the team to say, we're not comfortable with you coming back, but what does the team know? Like, not that not that they don't have the right guys there. I, I know a lot of people that still work with the Leafs. It's just, what are you going to say if John Tavares says, "Yeah, I'm healthy to come back." All the all the tests came back negative, but the testing they do, from my experience, isn't where it needs to be. And that's not about the Leafs or the NHL. That's about the whole thing around concussions and brain injury, like. There are very few people that know what they're what they're doing, and you just hope in a situation like this they're consulted. Like, I think you have to take this out of the team's hands and out of John's hands. I think there has to be some third party 
group or medical professionals, they get together that evaluate the players to make the decision in these situations. Like, I don't think it can just be up to Tavares or the team. I think it should be a third party that comes in, does their whole evaluation and what they say goes. And that's going to be tougher. Like imagine an NHL, uh, not even NHL player. Just imagine a professional athlete saying they're healthy. They feel like they can come back. They're cleared. And then all of a sudden you have this third party doctor. That's like, no, you're not. Well, you can't go back. Like it's such a gray area of, of, of how that would all work. But I just, I just, from my experience, like if you're the Leafs right now and you they clear all the tests and he's and a, your best player says they're fine, do you not have him back in the lineup for the playoffs? Of course you do. That's why I'm saying you bring in some third party because I've been in that situation where I felt well enough to come back, and you really you're really not you're, you're you. It's kind of like you're climbing Mount Everest and you're at twenty seven thousand feet and they have a guy on your you know on your headset. It's like okay, you don't have the capacity to make it to the top and back but you're so delirious from the lack of oxygen that you don't know. And if you didn't have that guy on a walkie talkie telling you to come back down and with your Sherpa guide, you keep going. And that's why people, when they go and climb Everest, don't make it. So it's very similar to climbing a mountain at high altitude where the lack of oxygen, you just can't make the right decisions. Like you're not coherent. And it's almost like that when you have a bad concussion. Russell Westbrook. Had some popcorn thrown at him in Philadelphia. Stunning in Philly. And did a New York Knicks fan spit at the Hawks' Trey Young? Incidents in the NBA playoffs in Philly and in New York City. A couple of stunning developments. We'll talk about them next. got even in their series with Atlanta last night and I'm watching this footage on Twitter over and over again of this fan in the second row hawking a loogie at Trey Young in the fourth quarter in between plays the fans moved out of the way yeah there are two women masked sitting in the front row and the the offending fan is standing behind them and the two women reacted like because they saw the loogie pass by them. I think it land. I don't think it hit Trey Young. I think it fell short of him, which isn't the point. But you got that going on at Madison Square Garden, and the Knicks fans are just horned up for playoff. Ba- well, a they're, that the fact they're allowed out of their houses, and b that they haven't seen playoff basketball there in forever. So you got that situation. And Trey Young's doing a great job of playing the heel in New York City over the first two games, and oh, then he hit the, yeah, hit, well, he hit the game, uh, hit the game winner in game yeah, one. I mean, the, and then shushes the crowd like he's hated. He's a good, hated man. Good, and he's a hell of a young player. A hell of a <laughs> oh, young yeah, player. And they were really they good. were targeting him before they were handing out signs, telling fans to chant, "Trey's going bald," or "You're going bald," or something. I, I love it. I love all that, and I love going after the players. But there's a line to cross and pouring stuff and throwing stuff at the players and spitting on them is like crossing the line. I think everybody's well, Russell, West, Russell Westbrook was was headed underneath to get his ankle looked at last night in Philadelphia. 
and he got doused with some popcorn and suddenly that ankle looked a lot better. But I, I'm telling you, like it, in ba- it's different in basketball because the players are just so close to the fans. In, in NHL rinks, I don't know if it still happens, Ziggy, but the road teams, when they come out of the locker room, right, there's Can't that covering. Near. There's that covering that gets thrown over the, the entranceway uh, to protect players. In the NFL, I guess coming into or out of the field of play, you can get it a little bit from the people hanging over, but it's not yeah, how, nearly as much. In baseball, obviously, you're just coming out of the dugout. Maybe outfielders like, could uh, from from fans in the outfield, but basketball, yeah, but it's the most dangerous. I feel like hockey players go after the fans because they can be, like I've heard of some bad stuff said, and it's almost like if you're a player and you want, you can go and grab someone going off the ice in certain rinks. I don't know if it's changed in the last seven years, but there's a lot of rinks where you could kind of grab a fan going off, and I don't know if they have those covers. It's changed things. With the NFL, how has there never been any situation where a fan has thrown something on someone? Like, you never hear of anything in the NFL. They, there's never a situation. I couldn't even give you one. Yeah, There's well, nothing. I mean, Eagles fans love to throw their batteries. There's actually a courtroom in the bowels of Lincoln Financial Field, the Eagles' home stadium. Because they and they have a judge who is there during home games, so that if somebody gets arrested in the stands, they can boom get him, <laughs> get him into yeah, the legal when, system. But when ASAP. I've never, I'm just saying you don't hear about it in the NFL. But yeah. the NBA stuff happens all the time. It's almost like well, because you can't not see it, right? Because like it's six, all like court Sixers, Sixers fans dumping popcorn on you know. Westbrook and then Knicks fans are like here hold my beer it's like the other thing Ziggy and my parents aren't going to want to hear this because they were they were good enough to 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 pay good money to get my teeth fixed when I was a teenager I I did the two years with braces things but I would rather be punched in the face repeatedly than spat on yeah that's bad that's that that, is the worst well, like, there's no there's no question here that he did get spat on. Like, th- I think it's the reaction from the the two people in the in the front row, right? Like, that's where like, I I yeah I, I I I don't think you can debate that, right? Yeah, I don't like, know if uh, the spit landed on on Young. I don't know if he had the trajectory. I, I honestly don't even. But think it doesn't matter. Matter. It I, doesn't matter. I don't it's think it matters. Yeah, I don't think it matters that it doesn't hit him. Like what are you like? What are you thinking? You know what I mean. The more I watch it, it's like, well, that's he's an idiot, is what he yeah. is. And like, there, there's two people, two women sitting front row in front of this dude. They're masked up, and you it, just go. You'll find it on Twitter. Just look at the video. I mean, they they're like, holy crap, what was that? Like they were. Stunned. It has to be. It has to be a lifetime ban from all sport and like all NBA games. Like, I'll does it what, not? I know spin- it's. I know it's. I know it doesn't even matter. But like, you have to ban them. Obviously, there's going to be charges late if they can. I mean, I, I they shouldn't be hard to find, though, right? I shouldn't say they. It's it's uh, presumably one person. Like you're not going to bet them both. Like they're obviously the the one person with the uh, Knicks jersey number nine, and then you have a T-shirt with a thirty on it. Yeah, like, Spitter was the T-shirt number thirty by the looks. I of think it. it's thirty. Yeah, thirty from the yeah. If I had but to do my, I tell you sign. right now, if you spit on some, you should be taken to an island in the middle of Hudson Bay dropped off and then just left to fend for yourself there there is just nothing worse yeah. than spitting on somebody that i mean give somebody the middle finger i said punch me in the face you spit you on know, me there is 
that is just so gross. Do you think like, yeah, but when you see the popcorn and the spitting, are you not just like people have been, I know I'm not making excuses for people to act this way, but they just haven't been to a sporting event and people have been in their house for over a year. And they're just like, they're so jacked up to get to a sporting event and they want to do anything to be a part of it. It's also like for me, the popcorn and the spitting, that's just people wanting to be part of the yeah. game and be and, and and be on the court or be on the field, right? right? And and look, if I said to you, if I said to you, guess the two cities where a spitting incident and a popcorn dousing incident happened. Just randomly take a guess. If Philadelphia and New York aren't on your lists, then you're crazy. Obviously. I'm not going to go after Philly and New York. I'll, I'll leave that one to you. Because <laughs> hey. I've played in some cities that are we just... Gotta, we should get Silk buddy, Gentilly to, get, to book I, Chris I've, Falcone back on. Let me on tell you me. this. I, hey, I've, yeah, I, hey, I, told, I think I told this story last year when Razor was on, but there was a fan that dumped popcorn on Sean Avery in the penalty box. Honestly, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Like, like... Westbrook goes off. It's like he couldn't walk. He was done for the season. Gets popcorn dumped on him. And then all of a sudden he's was Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. It's just like all of a sudden he's, oh, geez, that honestly, feels better. Like, honestly, and I, it, it happened to Avery. And, like, I can remember Andrew Raycroft going over, getting out of his net, like throwing a stick, trying to hit the fan over the glass. Then the popcorn went over him onto the ice. Like, it was I remember that in like 1998. Like, I think it was funny. Like, I'm sorry if I think the Westbrook and I've seen it happen to guys I played with. I think the popcorn's funny. I know it's disrespectful, but, and it's not just the Westbrook last night. Popcorn is relatively innocent, relatively (laughs) innocent. Horking horking on somebody. It's popcorn. Like if you had to choose one thing to get thrown on you, what would it be? That's what we're doing. Yes. We're coming back from the break. Text yes. us in. If you had to get one thing thrown on you, what would it be? Yes. <laughs> I make think it, popcorn's there. Make it <laughs> terrestrial radio friendly. I edit these things on the fly. Don't have me and halfway through a text. Yeah, and I can't and I can't read them. That's why I yeah, did it. Don't have don't have me halfway through a text and go. If I keep the, keep going on here, that's it. The slip. It will be it'll be pink the end of the day. Hugh jumps in. It could be a long 24 hours for Hugh, uh, his Habs, and then he's a big Vegas guy because he loves the city. They got a game seven tomorrow night. How scared is Hugh? We'll ask him next. throwing open the text lines to what would you like thrown at you 
right? Because popcorn <laughs> got thrown out at Russell Westbrook. How about Tom Jones? Spent a whole career singing songs on stage, getting underwear thrown at him. Dodging, dodging underwear, yeah. Saw him in Vegas, by the way, the, one of the I think, very first time we went. And they were still throwing underwear. It was more ceremonial, though, than anything. It's like throwing out the ceremonial first pitch. <laughs> you throw out the, the ceremonial first pair of undies. <laughs> then the show can begin. <laughs> Just a rowdy night for the octogenarians. Yeah. <laughs> Easy for you Easy for me. <laughs> I've never had my mouth stop halfway through a word like that. Uh, Eggo waffles. Eggo waffles. From a 416 number to 595.90. Something you can eat would be okay. Like well, like Ziggy said, popcorn popcorn's harmless. Adam, popcorn's not gonna hurt you. Adam it's, from Tottenham. It is, it, it is a bad feeling though. Like when you get stuff thrown at you as an athlete, like it's hey, play it's better. Not, it's not it's play not better. Cool. But <laughs> well, you sometimes I, on the road you're getting not, stuff at thrown at you because you're playing exactly. well. <laughs> you're hurting the home team. It serves you right for playing for the other team. <laughs> Adam from Tottenham, uh, chicken nuggets. Throw chicken nuggets mm. at me all day. What kind of sauce? Are they pre-sauced, or do you have to catch them and sauce them yourself? Well, they're nugs, right? So they're not—they're not wings. Yeah, but you get like the dipping sauce, plum sauce. Yeah, plum. a little plum, sweet and sour, so honey mustard. You good said, too. did you say chicken McNuggets? Yeah, or chicken just... nuggets. Yeah, you said chicken nuggets, but it could be McNuggets oh, okay. if you're. I was gonna say I didn't. I don't. I don't think McDonald's has plum sauce, right? It's the barbecue, the sweet and sour, or I think that was it, right? Back in the day, you had the barbecue or the sweet and sour. I like how you threw the back in the day just slid that in there because I'm looking at this. This guy's plant-based and he's debating which sauces are on the chicken McNuggets. You haven't eaten chicken hey, in 15 years. What do you know? A, it's been a, it's been a, I know. I know. I've cooked some steaks. Like I, for I friends? I've had, not for us. Yeah, I've had people, I can cook a, like a, a filet. Like if we get the barbecue going in the back deck here, you get some, give me some, I, I got a couple of secret spots. I get the filets from. Oh Yeah. I can dial it right in. <laughs> Plant-based great, steaks. Great, great Canadian mm. meats, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, there up. you yeah. go. All right. I like it. Pump those yep. pump those sponsors' tires. All right, Hugh. Uh, Yokohama tires, by the way, which are fantastic. Anything else? <laughs> well, they're sponsors Shouts well. to my buddy, Tony Kelsey. <laughs> right. There you go. Anything else we need to... Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. Got to check some boxes. glass. Yeah. Uh, Subaru, Adventure On in All Weather. Excellent. Work and wear, sure. Vic's just feeding me. Like RBC that. jumps in for our golf. Yep. You yep. know, we got the U.S. So Open coming up sponsors. next month. Is, is what we're trying to say. Thank you. Awesome. And the more you rhyme off, the more it feels good. It's like, yeah, we're doing all right here. We're doing all right. Uh, you okay? Because okay. your your habitant could be nah. the bye bye after tonight, and and, and yeah. you do like to travel to Vegas. You yep. s- threw some underwear at Tom Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> last time you were there, and and you love going, which yeah. so you've kind of adopted the Golden Knights as your Western Conference team. Well, as we were talking, you worried about them. As we were talking about yesterday, I'm resigned to the Habs fate. Uh, sad as that is, that's not really sad. It. it it should serve to them as a wake-up call and let them know how far away they are, not from being a Stanley Cup contender. I'm not even talking about that. How far away from being a team that can win a round or two. Like, they're a long way from that. Their offense is, to put it mildly, negligible. Um, yeah. As, and as, as, for, as for Vegas, uh, it's tough to beat a team three times 
um, straight. But hey, full credit to Minnesota. That's gonna. How much of a party is that going to be tomorrow night in Vegas? Game seven in Las Vegas on a Friday night with everybody coming into town. Oh, man! Sure. It feels like it feels like the NHL is that league more than any of the other big sports, Ziggy, where there's parity, and so there isn't as much distance between the top teams. And those middling teams. We've seen eight seeds back in the old format win the Stanley Cup, right? The LA Kings, I think, were an eight seed in the Western Conference in one of the two years. I can't remember if it was 12 or 14, but in one of the two years that they they won the Cup. But there is pretty good clarity this year on who the upper echelon teams are. Like, you're not messing with Colorado. If Vegas advances past Minnesota, that's going to be one hell of a second-round matchup. Boston just won't ever go away. We, you were talking a lot about Tampa Bay in the first segment of the show and just how good they looked in beating Florida and all those options on the power play and how well Stamkos is playing. I would like to believe that the Leafs slot into that conversation. I think they're on the fringes of it until they prove that they deserve to be right in the middle of it. But there's no way that a team like the Montreal Canadiens can compete with the best teams in the NHL in a best of seven right now. Well, there's the only the two teams that out of the first round that I thought didn't have much of a chance. Montreal's one of them and uh, St. Louis. I just didn't see that. Every other series, though, like, am I shocked if Minnesota beats Vegas? Well, I, I think Vegas is one of the best teams in the league. But if Minnesota, if they if they knock them off, I'm... I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to come on to the show the next morning and say, ah, oh, that's, that's a real, I I'm, I'm shocked in that one. Like not at all. This Minnesota team is legit. Talbot and net playing well. Like I'm sorry, but they're the Kaprizov is, you know, I, I think he's, I think he's one of the top five forwards in the league. I know it's his first year and he came up from the KHL. He's not your typical 18 and 19 year old, but that Kaprizov, if I'm putting a team together, He's in my, he's one of the top five forwards I'm going after. He does everything. Like I, it's like it, he's a Nylander and Mikheyev in one. That's it. You, you want to talk about like if you, people listening right now, uh, our listeners that don't get a chance, you know, you're not really paying attention to the other divisions and you don't get a chance to watch Minnesota wild probably as much as you'd like, but this, so this nobody kid's watches you'd like wild. nobody <laughs> name one person he's, that watches the Minnesota wild. Yeah. One. Like this. This guy's, he's legit. It's like, it's a little bit of toughness. It's the guy can score. He's, uh, he, he comes back in his own end. I think they're, I think they're really well put together. Like hats off to Billy Guerin and, and what he's done in, in Minnesota. No one saw this. Well, coming. but think about like, this is, this is another part of the conversation and, and it would require a deeper dive into the rosters and, and, and what they had in their, in their system. But th these teams that go through these three to five year rebuilds, like how much of that, I think you got to hit on some draft picks. Sometimes you got to get lucky and end up with a lottery ball like the Maple Leafs did getting Austin Matthews. But look at what the Colorado Avalanche have done over the last four years after having that real stinker of a season five years ago. And the Minnesota Wild were this old team with Zach Parise and and Ryan Suter and Koivu, Miku Koivu. And it was just, they were slow. They were plotting. They were years away 
from being a legitimate contender. They were the Midwest New Jersey Devils. And now yeah. within a year, and Bill Guerin only took over last year, and, and Bruce Boudreaux was was let go, and Dean Evason took over, that they're right in the conversation, and they will go into next year with expectation. You can yeah, turn this thing around quickly. Eric Sinek is like this all of a sudden number one line center. Greenway's a beast out there. Uh, Victor Rast, like... I love Zuccarello. I played against Zuccarello in Sweden in 2009 and 10. And when I was playing against him, I was like, how is this guy not in the NHL? Like I was calling back to my buddies that were pro scouts back over North America saying, this guy is legit. They're like, well, he's a little bit older now. You know, he's been in Europe um, for a while. Like I'm not quite sure. Were there any size size comments about him too? Well, there's always, and he's not a tough guy. Like you never know. Like 90% of the time, guys like Zuccarello can't play in the NHL game over in Europe. And it's every team has like five of them. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. That's Swedish elite league. There's like five Zuccarellos on every team. But I told my, my buddies, I'm like, this guy is legit. I'm telling you scary out there. And I, he's been really good. Um, Fiala, that's been a great addition for them. And he's on your third line. So the Zach Parisi, you know, a lot of talk around him and his contract and what he makes, his cap hit, his age, but he's been very effective. Drew big penalty last night. Um, Bonino, like it's, it's a good, it's a good mix. Dumbo with a massive hit on, I don't know who he hit. Was it, was it on tuck last night? The big one where Martinez fought him. So, and that's a whole nother conversation with the instigator rule with, I don't know if you guys, um, there was a big hit last night, Dumba on, on tuck. And then Martinez went like all the way down the ice. And like, I don't know, that has to be an instigator and, and it wasn't. So, I mean, that, that has to get changed, but it's an exciting game. I think no, regardless of who Vegas plays, it's exciting. I'm I, I haven't seen one series where I watch the gold Knights and I'm like, Man, this is just a boring game. Are they just steamroll someone? Like they're just a fun team to watch. And you like th- that matched up against the Wild. Great first round. And we'll get a great second round regardless of who ends up playing Colorado, Vegas, or Minnesota. Leafs with the chance to uh, lock it down and the series with Montreal tonight. And it would be the quickest series win for a Maple Leafs team since they swept the Senators in the first round of the 2001 playoffs 20 years ago. And it would be the first time that they win a playoff series since uh, against Montreal since 1967. So, and we all know what happened in 1967 in the last year of the six-team NHL. So the Leafs, I think, are feeling it. And you don't want to leave anything on the table here. Get this thing over with. So you can get to focusing on Winnipeg and get yeah. some rest days in. Yeah, you don't even want to leave the door open, even just a crack. There could be fans exactly. in the Bell Center on Saturday and, night. And who knows? A bad bounce here and there in overtime. Ask Vegas. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yep. It was three yeah. one heading back to I'm Vegas. Not, get it. The done. whole the whole fans thing. Game six. I'm sorry. I know you guys don't aren't aren't with me on this, but 2,500 fans. Like I. I don't see that making any kind of impact. I, I'm I, I got to go the other way from you guys. Um, but but I just those, I, I just those... I just don't think I just don't think 2,500 fans is going to do it. Maybe half full if it's really loud in there. And yeah. let me tell you, it's my favorite rink to play in the whole NHL. I didn't get a chance to play in Vegas, but it's uh, playing in Montreal is my favorite rink. And 
maybe half full when they get rocking, but 2,500, it's going to be a lot of suits there. It's going to be a lot of boxes. Like I'm just, I don't don't think that's going to push the needle for me for if I'm Toronto and this does go to game six, it's not going to be like, well, there's fans there. It's going to be a hostile environment. Like I I can't see that happening. I don't know if this makes any difference or not, but a lot of those, well, some of those 2,500 fans will be family and friends of the players. So that might inspire them a little bit, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves. I don't think it goes back to Montreal. I think the Leafs get it done tonight. They have to get it done tonight. Just for for the convenience. They don't want to spend another off day, then have, have to go to Montreal, then have to come back. Get it done tonight. Take care of get business. Get on with it. Exactly. This is, more, this is more of a statement in the league. It's not even about Winnipeg or the Leafs or injuries, making sure. I'm telling you, everybody in the league has their eyes on Toronto. Is this a different team? If they let Montreal hang around, it's just going to, it's going to, the rest of the team, the rest of the league, the, the, the Colorado's and the Vegas, if they get by and, and <laughs> I just Tampa's the Boston's like Tampa Bay and Boston are looking at the Leafs right now. Believe me and saying, Oh, the Habs took him to six. The Habs took him to seven. Look at them. They couldn't even close out that series. Like, this is the question mark around the Leafs, right? They can't close out these series. Like, it's that's been the issue against the Bruins. Like, they can't close them out. And I'm telling you, teams look at the Leafs and their situation right now, and they're, they want to they see how they handle, um, you know, their massive favorites. They have the 3-1 lead, and if they stumble trying to, you know, finish them off, it's really going to let the league know what what they're about. That's what I'm more concerned about than, than the rest. Look at the human beings involved in the announced yesterday match for the PGA Tour for 2021. Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson against Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. Or as Brady said yesterday, two champions versus, versus a scientist. A scientist. And a Jeopardy host. And a Jeopardy host. How about Brooks Kepka getting in on the social media action? Sorry about that, A-Rod. Yeah. L- like, yeah. that you got to play with Bryson. And that whole, and then, I, and I, Bryson, I don't know if you've seen all the memes that have come yeah. out with, with Bryson great. behind yeah, Kepka. Just pure hatred. Rolling the eyes and kind of doing the... Bryce for the U.S. Bryce. for the U for the U.S. Open, they have to put them together. It's at Tor- it's at Torrey Pines in San Diego in well, the, a couple weeks. Well, the last uh, my, the last three U.S. Open championship champions are DeChambeau, Kepka, and Morikawa. So if they put those together as a threesome, stand back. I, uh, the PGA has to love it. Like, when's the last time? Sure, they do. There has been anything like maybe like okay, Mickelson winning the PGA Championship, Tiger in two thousand. 19th the Masters, DeChambeau with his 400 yard drives. Like what else? Like what else has there been? There's been there's been really nothing. But when well, like, there's the, when the constant there, hatred of Patrick Reed to tie us. There's the Patrick Reed those. cheating yeah. stuff. But like that's you don't want the PGA and the Patrick Reed cheating. I'm sorry, it's interesting for us, but it's not the same as a Kepka DeChambeau. Like hatred. these guys like, hate each different. other and they don't even, like each other. Like, no, they do even not. the even the Tiger Phil stuff, which everybody knew about wasn't out in the open as much. No. A lot of it was behind the scenes, and then fans just picked a side. You yeah. had your guy, 
Yeah. It was either Tiger or Phil. And there, right? was, and there was always a grudging respect between the two. Brooks Kepka does not respect Bryson DeChambeau. No, he thinks he's a complete and total joke. dink. Yeah. yeah. He thinks he's a complete and total dink. Yep. And I don't think Bryson DeChambeau is looking for Brooks Kepka's approval. No, no he's which reveling is, in this. He loves it. Of course. Yeah. And this is the beauty. Well, they're of going. They're going back and forth on Twitter now. Like yeah. it's gotten. Didn't, once did, you get to Twitter, it's that's pretty ugly for me. Didn't DeChambeau like, say, you know, I'm living in living in your head, rent free, or something like that yesterday? Yeah, something along yeah, those on lines. Twitter. <laughs> Love it. I, I mean, if I'm DeChambeau, I stay quiet in these situations because there's just so much ammo against them. Like I, I said this before, DeChambeau's like the nerd on the team and everybody gives them the hard time. Like I, there's like one the or two players kid. on every, on every team I've played on that just get abused. Whether you're the nerd, whether your English isn't great. Like you get just attacked and it's Wanna not, spend it's time not in malicious. Museums. Yeah. Yeah. Read a book. It's not malicious, but like, he's that guy, like the, the whole driver thing and the distance and it just look up DeChambeau YouTube clips on, the science of golf, and you're going to be like, yeah, I, I can't stand but Ziggy, this But you know my favorite, and Hugh, I, t I bring this up. At, what tournament was it? Two and a half, three months ago, where he had to hole out from about 180 yards yeah. in order to send it to a playoff. Yeah, and he's looking at and his book. And he's staring at, at his little flip book there. Yep, yep. Looking at the yardage. You know, I thought he was going to lick his finger and hold it up yeah, to see which way the wind was blowing. It's like your percentage likelihood of making that shot at the best of times is got to be one one hundredth yeah. of a percent. If if that, yeah. Did you did you guys see the viz of Brooks Kapka on the driving range and and someone said you know great shot Brooksy. Don't call <laughs> and, me Brooksy. And then he said whoever's calling me Brooksy has got to get out of here. So if I'm Bryson DeChambeau and I am paired up with Brooks Kapka at the U.S. Open. On the tee box, after Kepka drives, I'm saying, nice drive, Brooksy. Every single time, just to get into his head. Every single time. Nice drive, Brooksy. Yeah, I'm, and I'm having, a, I'm having a big breakfast, <laughs> yeah. and just as he <laughs> leans into his backswing, just, just the littlest things you can do to throw him off his game. That's what I'm saying, Brooksy. Imagine we got a throwdown at some point. I'd love that, that would be golf's and very are, first. Those fight. are two big men. <laughs> they are. Those are two big men who are not shy about I got hitting. My money I don't know. Kepka. The the best out of them all was when Bryson. I'm sorry. I think I posted this in the group chat. I'm not sure, but DeChambeau wanted relief from a tree, and he's like, I I I think there's there's ants near my ball because yeah. if you have like a. a a burrowed hole from an animal or something, you can cut, you can get relief. Ants. ants. He goes like, I got ants. So then when, when <laughs> Kepka was in the bunker, oh. and he, I don't know if he went to his caddy or it was the rules official. He's like, I, I got an ant on my ball. And they thought he was serious. <laughs> like that was the, be like, that's awesome TV. It's great. Golf loves this. Fantastic. It's good. Yeah. It's good for the sport. Uh, and even better Deschambeau. I don't, where was it? The masters, the drivable par four. When no one would, both partners, I think it was Finau and somebody else, they wouldn't help him look for his ball. That was bad. Like, <laughs> forget about Kepka chirping him like that in the Golf Channel. Okay, it looks bad, and we love talking about it and the controversy. But when a, one of the players hits his ball, and it's 20 yards from the green, like it was a good shot, and he couldn't find it, you should go over there and give it a quick peek. Neither other player went over and gave it three seconds they went straight to the green that's when you're like 
It's not just Kepka. Yeah. Trust me. There's oh, more yeah. guys. Oh, yeah. And Tony Fino is a guy you want to respect you. I mean, this is a dude yes. who popped his ankle back yeah. in oh. and had a really nice round, really nice weekend. Blocks. Yeah, <laughs> really nice weekend at the Masters. Didn't win the Masters, but had a really nice weekend a few years ago at the Masters after popping his ankle back in himself. It's a good thing I don't lose any golf balls. Yep. <laughs> Kyle Bukaskis at the uh, top of the 8 o'clock hour Leafs and Habs tonight Leafs with an opportunity to win their first playoff series since April the 20th 2004 we're taking your text what were you doing 17 plus years ago where were you in your life that's how long it's been kids who were born then are about to graduate high school that's how long it's been since the Leafs won a playoff series Alec Manoa's Major League debut Delayed until today, thanks to last night's rainout. The Blue Jays play a doubleheader at Yankee Stadium. Expectations for Manoa and two seven-inning games today. If the Jays get length from both starting pitchers and you combine that with last night's off night, thanks to the weather, maybe that bullpen's going to get some of the rest. It's badly, badly needed. We'll discuss it all with Kevin in a moment. Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. This is a Barker selection. <laughs> is this like for Alec Manoa? Is he going to be our hero? Is that the... Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Here he is, Kevin Barker, the co-host of Baseball Central with Jeff Blair, <laughs> which is at a special time today because the schedule's been changed given last night's rainout. The Blue Jays will play a doubleheader, a couple of seven-inning games starting at 4 o'clock on Sportsnet 590, the fan Blair and Barker will have a pregame edition of Baseball Central at 3 o'clock. So 3 o'clock this afternoon, Blair and Barker, Baseball Central. And Kevin is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That was a good slurp. What are you drinking? Coffee? Yeah, what Water? Are, what do you got going right good. now? That was good. What's in the I coffee? What's, I appreciate what, what's the order? What's the order? Is it uh, a venti? So, no, what? Just, well, what? <laughs> Come on, Barker. You walk into it's Starbucks a... every morning with a venti soy latte, oh, yeah, half yeah. milk, half avocado juice, or whatever. It's a complicated order. We know you. I'd have to put that in my notes and my cell phone just so I could remember how to say it all to the person that's making my coffee. Not a chance. I, I have a black coffee with a little splash of Splenda. That's it. There you go. Mm. Just a little bit that's of sweetener. A little bit of sweetener. That's it. Okay, so uh, you wanted Hero, you got it, Alec Manoa. I mean, what is a – I honestly don't think anything can happen today that is going to be uh, a sign of, of things to come. I think this, this young man needs an opportunity to get his feet wet in the big leagues. I don't think there needs to be a knee-jerk, Nate Pearson-like reaction if things don't go well – and I also don't think we need to anoint this guy the next Roy Halladay if he throws six or seven shutout innings and they win the first half of the doubleheader. There are going to be bumps on this road, and we'll just see how it plays out and hope for the best. Okay, who, Blair threw this question at me yesterday on Baseball Central. Who had, who had more pressure on them, Nate Pearson or Alec Manoa? Pearson. Yeah, Pearson. Pearson for me. Who do you think? 
So all, all of the things you just mentioned there, you know, I, I, Alec Manoa may be playing with some 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 house money. I agree. Again, what 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 do we really expect from Alec Manoa? Is it is it five scoreless innings? Is it ten strikeouts? Is it three and two thirds? What's the expectations? Again, you know the the everybody keeps yelling and screaming about he's earned it. He threw thirty five innings in the minor leagues. He he had three good starts in AAA. You know how many home runs I had to hit in the minor leagues before I got called up? A lot. <laughs> um, I, more, more. I played more than thirty-five innings, so so I think we got to you know take a step back a little bit, look at big picture, sort of like what you just said, a big picture of what this kid could turn out to be, even if you would have Nate Pearson in it. How about having this guy as your fourth and fifth starter, and then filling in the three lefties at the end of the season, maybe in September? That that would be a nice look. You know, have him have a pretty good start, get off to a halfway decent start. Uh, you know, be able to command both sides of the plate. Be able to throw a slider to get back in a count. Have have confidence in throwing your changeup in three two count. Be able to hold a runner on. Can he field his position? Can he th- when he does field his position? Can he throw a ball to first in Yankee Stadium? Uh, well, let's see all of those things before we start. You know, putting expectations on this kid. I, I just, you know, it's better than seeing uh, other guys starting. I don't want to see Trent Thornton start anymore. I don't, I don't really want to see Anthony K. I like Anthony K. He, he's okay after an opener, but do I want to see him starting? No, I've seen that already. I want to see what Alec Manoa can do and the expectation thing. Let's not put any expectation on him. Let's just be happy that we have a, a, a prospect that we can see pitch and and hopefully they can score some runs for him early and now he can pound the zone and have a little attitude doing it and that that's sort of what I'd like to see yeah. too. Mound presence. Nate Pearson, we saw none of that. Zero of that. Even in the minor league. You, you see the, the when he's standing on the mound in the minor leagues, he has to fill his position and flip that little ball to first. Did he, did he look like he, he, he belongs there? That, that's a little bit. Maybe that's just the Nate Pearson that we, we're going to ultimately end up seeing is is that sort of guy. But when you have a guy that throws as hard as these guys do, there, there's something that comes with that. I know when I was standing on the on-deck circle and I was facing a guy that threw super hard, he threw it because he knew he could throw it to anybody in a fastball count, and you could do nothing about it. This is sort of what, what I want to see from this guy. And when Nate Pearson gets caught up, I want to see a little bit of that too from him. With Kevin Barker on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan, you talk about people saying he's earned it. I, I agree with you. Kevin, he, he, he hasn't yet, but this is necessity, right? This is Dave. They went into the season with a three man starting rotation. And I think it is fair to say that that scenario has played out as well as it could have. Ryu has been an ace. Robbie Ray has been excellent. And Steven Matz has had some burps and hiccups along the way, but has been pretty good. Oh, I, I think it's fair to say he's been pretty good. I, I was encouraged to see that he got into the seventh inning. Uh, the, the 100 pitches over five inning business, like you need more length out of him. They got it in his last start on Tuesday night at Yankee Stadium. Positive, positive sign. But they went into the season with two negotiable spots in the starting rotation. And now about seven weeks in with the bullpen tired, and having suffered some attrition, they are trying to fill those spots internally. So it isn't about earning it. It's now necessity because they can't continue through the rest of the year and into the middle of the season, the dog days, with a three-man starting rotation. Okay, we've seen Anthony Kay give you four halfway decent innings. You couldn't run Anthony Kay out there in Yankee Stadium. He's done it before. The necessity thing, I ain't buying that. 
Again, if you don't think a guy could do that in the minor league level, you know, dominate and be consistent and repeat his delivery and do all the things it takes to be an everyday starter, right? He he was a forget West Virginia. He pitched every Friday. That's every seven days. Doing it, you know, four days between starts is different than doing it every Friday. That's something he has to learn how to do too. Can he do that and be, you know, maintain velocity and maintain bite on the slider and and have good run or sink to the changeup? We don't know that. But do you Kev, know that? they're looking. That. They're looking for guys who can give them more than three and a third innings or th- three and oh, th- oh. there you can't have your bullpen getting you 12 to 15 outs most days it's happened too often and they've suffered for it yeah i guess i guess necessities uh, is uh, maybe a bigger word that, that i'm not ready to use i think again they, they could fill in pieces they could start trent thornton if you have to do that you could bring in a a guy after trent thornton you could do anthony k you could use a you could have bullpen days if you don't think alec Manoa is ready I, the only reason that if, if i was, was ross atkinson i called up alec Manoa is because i thought he could do all the things that i just mentioned that 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 he could do right he, he can control a fastball to both sides of the plate is the sinker sinking you know in a in a fastball count, can he throw it to a fastball hitter and throw it by somebody? Is he getting swing and misses on his best pitch? All of these things you have to look at. If the answer is yes, this is why you call him up. You don't call him. It's not his fault that the big league team doesn't know how to pitch or can't pitch or can't throw strikes and, and is having trouble doing that. It's not his fault. That This is the point, and I, and I think that's what they're trying to tell everybody is we're not calling him up because – the big league team is having trouble with their fourth and fifth starter. We're calling him up because we think he's the best option right now, and we think he can do a really good job for our baseball team. And I think that's what everybody has to remember. So what part of it is, like, for me, it's why in New York, why why against the Yankees? Like, why, for me, it's why now? Like, why not next week? This is probably the most difficult situation to bring a young prospect into a situation, is it not? Is it? I, look, they're they're going to what the Yankees will have about eighteen thousand fans there. That's what I think I read. It was there about eighteen thousand at four o'clock? They're going to really have eighteen thousand. So, oh, guess mate, we'll say twelve thousand. Twelve thousand in Yankee Stadium in twenty twenty one. Eight eight eight. 18,000 10 or 12 years ago when I tried to play in Yankee Stadium. This, the stadiums are different. The, the, these, these baseball players nowadays don't care about where they're playing and where they're starting. They don't. Alec Manoa, his strength is how he carries himself on the mound. I got a little attitude. I got a little, I'm cocky. I know I'm pretty good. I don't think you can do anything about it. I really don't think he cares about where he's starting his game, his first game. I just think he cares about he's starting his first game in the big leagues. And, once you know the hardest thing he'll do he'll have to get past is the hardest thing i had to get past and the hardest thing every first time a big leaguer has to get past it's that stretching part of it it's that bullpen walking from the bullpen uh to the to the visiting dugout that little time in between is the time he's going to get have to get past and then when he takes the ball from the catcher and wanting to throw strike one it's like every other game but it's that little time between when you're walking out there and everything looks a lot bigger and, and you're not used to seeing it but once you get past that and you could zone in and look for that little target aim small miss small kind of thing right when you get past that and you can do that thing Alec Manoa will be fine but I, you know I just don't think uh, players in 2021 think about those kind of things that you just mentioned like we used to like a hockey player used to 10 years ago or like I used to when, my, when I first came in the big leagues I just don't think they do anymore and the, and the reason I'm going there and where I want to go is that 
when you bring up a young guy, and it doesn't matter what sport, usually you have him going, you play at home, you play against a team that's not a playoff, not a top contender, and you let them, you know, you ease them into it. But it's almost like with Pearson and Manoa, it's it's like sooner or later, they're going to have to go into Yankee Stadium and play them. They're going to be in big games, right? And it's like, yeah. why ease them in against the Orioles or whoever you want to throw in their bottom feeder? You're going to have to play against a good team eventually. Why not figure it out right away? Yeah, well, okay, you'd rather them start in a, in a small ballpark like Buffalo or you'd rather them start in a big league stadium. I, you know, mm-hmm. if Alec Manoa can keep it away from dead right field in Yankee Stadium, that park's pretty big. It plays big. Keep them in the middle of ball, in the middle of ballpark, right? Have late bite to your slider. Have good late sink to your changeup. Have good late sink to your heater. Have good elevated four-seam fastball. Have it late ride to that pitch. If you are if you have late movement to all those pitches, you can keep the ball in the big part of the ballpark. You won't have to worry about right center field. I, that, that's the point here. It, it's, it's, if you think he's ready, where does it matter, right? Nate Pearson came up and pitched against the Astros. It's one of the best lineups in baseball, right? And, and it looked to me like he was trying to pitch away from that short porch in left field in, in Houston. It's, you, you just, if you're a big leaguer, you're a big leaguer. Who cares where you start? Yeah. Would you consider Marcus Simeon on a long-term deal? That's a great question. Uh, well, my first question would be, do you have a, a better option? Right now, you would say no to that. Uh, do you have a guy that can help mentor Bo Bichette? Uh, you would say no to that. And the third thing, obviously, and the most probably the most important one, is how much would he cost you? How much do you want to spend on it? Is it three for 60? Is it... I don't know, four for 80. Would you, would you be willing to give him four for 80 million? I wouldn't. You know, if he come to me and said, I give you a four for 57, you'd really have to think about that, right? You know, any more than 60 million, I'm probably not doing that. And, and really, if you're, if you end up winning with Marcus Simeon at second base this year, that, that will sort of tell you whether you need to go further with him. If, if you're not winning with Marcus Simeon this year, you know, and, and how important is that to, to have a guy like Marcus Simeon that can, Teach Bo how to, to I don't teach is a strong word. Help him along in what he will go through mentally and physically with the struggles of playing shortstop every single day. That's a better way of saying it. Teaching, look, nobody teaches anybody at the big league level that they may throw things off of them. Okay, what do I do when I get a certain ball this way? Can I backhand it or I have to get around it? It's those kind of things. Teaching is a very strong word. So you you help a guy get through certain bad times of of what they're going through defensively, but. I like him as a player. He makes your lineup longer. Look, you have George Springer hitting leadoff. He's hitting six for you, and he could drop 30. 30 don't come around every day. That's like the Randall Gritchick thing when everybody's yelling and screaming in the offseason. Uh, trade Randall Gritchick. How many guys in that lineup have had 30 and 80? Well, I can give you the answer to that. Not many. It's hard to come by. And when you got it, got it, knows how to do it and, do, and can do it in the American League East, it's hard to get rid of guys like that. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting thing to see what they do with that. You know, up the middle defense is hard to come by. And when you got a really good guy like Marcus Simeon who can do that and, and help your team win games defensively and also help your team with the three-run homer, that don't come around every day either. So yeah. it'll be an interesting thing to well, look at. Well, and I just – because Simeon's on the wrong side of 30, but not by much. And I, I don't know how you reacted to this, Kev, when it happened, but – and we're in a pandemic and, and all of that, and baseball's revenues were down. And I, I wonder if, if certain guys felt like they should just jump at the, the guaranteed 
money over a longer term. But, like, what did you make of DJ LeMayhew returning to the Yankees for $15 million a year, $90 million over six years? I Maybe I'm just trained to assume that ball players should be of, of his caliber should be up at closer to 20 a year. I, I thought he took less and maybe that was to stay in New York and, and, and to have the secure term of six years and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what other second baseman in his age bracket who could profile somehow, some way as a similar player offensively to him felt about him taking that number for that long. Yeah, I think the Yankees are, are a little bit different because of all the injuries they were going through, and, and he's sort of the one guy that was the the consistent, I can write his name in the lineup, leading off, playing first, playing second, playing third as many times because I know he's going to be there and, and he's going to get big hits and, and can hit all the balls to right field. And he, when it matters, who do I else do I want up? It's probably D.J. LeMayhew. Did they overpay D.J. LeMayhew? I don't know. You know, he's won a batting title in both leagues. That, that's, that has to come with some. No, I'm wondering if he took less. Per oh, 90 million is a lot. 90 million is a lot of money. Like, like how, how are you going to yell? Is he a hundred million dollar man? He doesn't hit 30 homers, uh, right? He hits for high average. I'm thinking more and, of AAV though. Is, is he a middle? Is he a middle of the order bat? Is he? These are all the things that have to 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 come into play. It's you know he can play multiple positions and and he he's a big deal because you can write his name in a lineup. And you've said this before to me. That's the one of the bigger deals is that you get to write his name in a lineup every day. That's I don't. I, again, the, these teams are trying to get these guys as cheap as they possibly can. The Yankees are a totally different animal because of because it's the Yankees. Now, is Marcus Simeon worth ninety million dollars? Is he worth fifteen million dollars a year? Fifteen million dollars a year nowadays is not a lot of money, but the 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 full term thing at ninety million dollars it's a big number. I, you know, you spread that out over a, a longer period of time. Okay, I guess I would never give Marcus Simeon ninety million dollars again. My cutoff's about sixty because you got to remember too, you, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette are have to get going to have to get paid soon. I know it's a, a couple of years away, but you got to be having the conversation with the way Vladdy's going right now. Oof. You know the the Acuna Jr. conversation that they had and they signed him for a hundo. That's that's got to be a conversation soon with Vladimir Guerrero. Junior, right, and you're probably going to have the same conversation with with Bo Bichette. So uh, those those couple of things you got to take into play too, and also they, they need starting pitching and and how are you going to get that? And, and if Nate Pearson and Alec Manoa don't turn out to be Alec Manoa and Nate Pearson that you think they're going to be, then what do you do? Now you're going to have to go out and spend more money. All of these things are going to have to come into play. And oh by the way, the Red Sox are going to be better next year. They're going to spend a lot more money. The Yankees are going to always be the Yankees, the the little engine that could. Kicks everybody's tail. What are they going to do, right? They they make the trade before everybody else does to help their team win games. So the, the American League East is very tough. Thinking of ahead of how you try and make your team out so you don't have to spend so much money that it hurts you long term, and that puts a lot of pressure on how you draft people. And, you know, Ross Atkins got his work cut out for him. St. Louis Cardinals manager Mike Schilt made it very clear how he felt about umpire Joe West, who uh, incidentally set the record for most games umpired ever earlier this week. Umpire Joe West going out and confiscating the cap of his closer, Giovanni Gallegos. And Schilt didn't name names, but he said, you're coming out and taking my kid's hat? There's bigger stuff at play here, and we all know it. We'll play the clip. 
get Barker's reaction in a moment. Kevin Barker is with us until the top of the hour here on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan, by the way, Kev, the Maple Leafs play the Habs tonight. Their chance to win their first playoff series since April the 20th, 2004. Where were you in 2004? Where were you playing? That's a great question. I have to look that up, but I'm sure somewhere in the minor <laughs> leagues might might have been might have been Mexico. Mexico. I might have been a, I might have been in Mexico. I have to look that up. Wow. Where? Where in Mexico? 2004. I was either in Mexico or I was towards Let's... the end of. No, I no, I was. I was with the. Uh, I was with the. Uh, I was with the Blue Jays. 2004. I just signed with the Blue Jays. I just gotten released in in the last couple of days in the minor league camp with Detroit Tigers, I believe. And Alex Anthopoulos called me. I was on the. I was about to get on the plane. Handed my ticket to to the lady to get on the plane. Alex called, said, "Hey, don't give your ticket yet. Do you want to come play for the Blue Jays?" I'm pretty sure that was 2004. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm looking at you. 2004, 2005. You did a little double A and triple A time with the Blue Jays. Yeah. 05 and 06, and of course you played for the Jays a bit in 06. You were in the uh, Phillies minor league system. I was. In 2004. Well, I got, yeah. You had good numbers, too. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they did, the Phillies didn't really care about me, so it was, <laughs> so it's, it was more of a just a little stop, and I had to move oh, on. Look at you. Else, you had a 360 was, on base and a 520 slug, 20 home runs. Yeah. What a pretty nice season. Let's get back to Mexico. We're in Mexico. That kind of yeah. sounds like kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. yeah what, it was one, like Cabo San Lucas? <laughs> yeah. Are you in Cabo play? Playa like, del Carmen like? or something? What are you thinking about beaches and stuff? <laughs> oh, my no. God. I was, I was in none of those places. <laughs> yeah, you were, yeah. No. You were grinding it out. Grinding I it w- out. I so, so here's the deal. Uh, Joe West comes and confiscates the cap of Giovanni Gallegos, a Cardinals reliever. Apparently, there was some belief that there could have been a foreign substance on the cap. Anyway. Yeah, get in line. Get in line. Yeah, exactly. So here is Cardinals (laughs) manager Mike Schilt, not naming names, but also not holding back in his post-game press conference. There are people that are effectively and not even trying to hide essentially flipping the bird at the league with how they're cheating in this game with concocted substances. There are players that have been monetized for it. There are players that are obviously doing it, going to their glove. There's clear video of it. You can tell the pitchers that are doing it because they don't want to go to their, their mouth. But let's go check the guys that are sitting there going their glove every day with filthy stuff coming out, not some guy before he's even stepped on the mound with a spot on his hat. So my name is Mike Schilt, and I am going to talk about Trevor Bauer for 45 seconds without mentioning <laughs> Trevor Bauer, even though I could have mentioned Trevor Bauer 10 yeah. times. Yeah. It's essentially it. Now, it's not just Trevor Bauer, Kev, but he's the poster child. Yeah, well, okay, just well, just watch a baseball game. Watch how hard these guys throw. Look how hard the ball looks when they throw a four-seamer that look, looks like it's elevating. It, it's obviously not, but it sure looks like it is. When you when you have that much spin on a, on a four-seamer and you can roll it off the tip of your fingers the way they can, they're not doing that just because they're they're making sure there's no sweat on their fingers. I mean, let's let's be honest. And, and the way their breaking balls move and, and how much late break they have on their breaking balls and, and, and the depth they get on their breaking balls, you, you 
have to do it with a little bit of substance, right? It's been happening for years. Now, are they taking it to a whole different level? Probably. But to have Joe West go out and say, look at me, I'm an umpire, and I've, I've umpired more games than anybody ever in baseball. Okay, so what? Go, go stand where you stand and try and umpire the best you can and stay out of it. Get, get used to seeing the big white spot on the top of everybody's hat that everybody has. It's, it's, I don't understand. Again, it's, it's, the best umpires are always, for me, the ones that you never notice are on the field. I'll leave it at that. But do you, do you not think the league wants to take care of this, or you think they just turn the other way? Guys I'll want to do it, quite, do it? I'll ask you. I'll ask you a question. If they did, uh, Rob Manfred wouldn't have came out and had a, 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 a said something already about the, the way off- offenses are down. You know, they're still hitting some home runs, but averages are way down. Strikeouts are way up. Uh, breaking balls are, are devastating. The spin rates are as high as it's ever been. Do you ever hear him come out and say anything about that? Nope. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's how do you get eyes to the TV sets. If that is no hitters and that is punch outs and that is guys doing the sword, yeah, after you strike somebody out because I just threw a devastating, leave it on the tips of my fingers and spin it as much as I can, pitch, then this is the way they think they're going to get eyes to the sets. People are going to be hush-hush. I, I, I like it that managers are coming out and going, hey, why are you calling out my players? Been, it's been happening forever. You're not doing anything to them. How about Tyler Glasnow <laughs> claiming, yes, when? Yeah. How about Tyler Glasnow claiming that the Jays might have been stealing signs? Okay. Because uh, I'm not tipping. Uh, last I checked, Kevin, the Jays struggled against that Tampa Bay bullpen. And uh, just let me check my notes here, my copious notes. Uh, the Jays <laughs> got swept in a four-game series by the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, the, well, the first, you know, if you if you look a little bit deeper into his start, Tyler's start, the the first uh, the first four innings, he had three swing and misses on something spinning. That that's the little curveball he gets for strike three, and the slider he loves to throw now to right-handed batters, which the Blue Jays are loaded with like right-handed batters. He got three swing and misses in that. The fifth inning, he got like six swing and misses. So you're telling me that they were only looking for the pitch the first four innings. The fifth inning, they said. Pfft. He's still out there. Forget it now. We, we, you know, we, we don't want to tip our hand. No, the first four innings, the pitch wasn't any good. It didn't have any break to it, and they had a pretty good approach. The Blue Jays did. You, you, what you have to do, and I've been saying this to you guys, and I've been saying it forever. In 2021, you can't go up and guess spin. If you do, you're going to hit 200. You have to go up looking for something hard because that gets your front foot in, in the quickest athletic position you can possibly get it in so you can recognize spin out of the hand. Is it spinning? If it ain't spinning, it's got to be something hard. Probably if it's hard, it's 95 plus. Now at least I'm in an athletic position where I can get the barrel out in front of the plate. That's what you have to do for a pitcher to come out and say just because he had a bad start, oh, I have a bad start. The only reason I'm going to have one is because they obviously know my signs. Come on, give me a break, man. Give me a break. What, what, yeah, but wasn't, what, more you, wasn't, what, what more do you want? Wasn't Toronto at the center of like some science? Oh, dude, like, no, was the, the man, the the man in white. Was, oh, was that God. forever ago? Was that any truth that to that? Like a or decade no? ago. That, that, was, that was Toronto. <laughs> how, yeah, how many how many white shirts did you see in Dunedin? <laughs> right. Uh, I saw on, a lot of man. Phillies red. I saw a lot of Rays <laughs> navy or powder blue. Yeah. God. I. I <laughs> I don't know. It's like, dude, take your lumps. And the Jays got him in Tampa Bay a month ago, too. That could be a pride thing as much as anything, where he's just, 
I don't. I yeah, don't. What, I don't what, like an AL East arrival drubbing me twice. What did, what did they What did they hit when they were in Tampa? They hit the fastball. Rowdy Telez is is turning around a hundred mile an hour fastball for a triple in right center field. That's how you hit Tyler. You you can't look for his breaking ball. It's devastating. You, you got no chance on that right now because he's, he has confidence in the slider and it, he throws so hard. He's a giant human. When he releases the ball, it looks like he's releasing it right in front of the catcher. You, you have to simplify as much as you can. You have to be as quiet and, and as quick with your lower half as you can to give yourself a chance. The, uh, these catcher, these pitchers throwing their hands in the air, but just because the team has a good approach on you, I, uncle with that, how many more advantages do you want? You have the shift. Get over it, man. We'll leave it there. That's what I was hoping to get out of you. You nice. nailed it. You nailed it. We'll do this again on Tuesday, so we'll be through the Yankees series. Uh, we'll be through the Cleveland series on the road. The weather looks a little shoddy in Cleveland tomorrow and Saturday, so hopefully they can get the games in, and then it's a home to Buffalo. Tuesday will be the Buffalo opener. I, I don't want to call it the home opener, but the Miami Marlins will uh, draw in on Buffalo on Tuesday, so we'll uh, tee that up. Look forward to it, Kev, and we'll be listening at 3 o'clock. Three to four today to you and uh, Blair with the uh, pregame b- edition of Baseball Central before the doubleheader. Can't wait. Appreciate that. Have a good day, everybody. Yeah, Kevin Barker, co-host with Jeff Blair of Baseball Central, which is usually two to three. But the Blue Jays are playing a doubleheader today in New York against the Yankees. Alec Manoa will make his major league debut at four o'clock. So the guys will move Baseball Central to three o'clock for a full hour pregame edition of the program. Kevin brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Anthony Stewart, Justin Bourne at 835, former Blue Jays GM Gord Ash at about 818. We'll talk about Alec Manoa's debut and what's a reasonable expectation for a young pitcher who doesn't have a lot of pro innings. And up next, Kyle Bukoskis of Hockey Night in Canada. He's all over the Leafs and Habs series. Here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. The Leafs can do it tonight, win a playoff series, and it would be the first since April the 20th, 2004. Up three games to one, the Leafs host the Montreal Canadiens. The Carolina Hurricanes are looking to take the series from Nashville, game six in Nashville tonight. If Carolina wins, not only do they wrap it up, but it would be the first road win of that series islanders five penguins three bad end for tristan jerry and the penguins net islanders win the series four games to two they will advance and take on boston in the mass mutual east division final tampa bay four florida nothing the bolts win that series in six games and they will play the winner of carolina nashville Meanwhile, Minnesota shuts out Vegas 3 to nothing. so those two teams will go back to Sin City and play Game 7 tomorrow night. The Blue Jays were rained out yesterday. They've got a doubleheader this afternoon, starting uh, with a first pitch a little after 4 o'clock at Yankee Stadium. Blair and Barker with a full pregame, hour-long edition of Baseball Central starting at 3 here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, it's Manoa, we believe in the first game, and then Robbie Ray will pitch the nightcap for the Blue Jays. NBA playoffs, Sixers over the Wizards, 120-95. Philly with a two-games-to-none series lead there. The Knicks even things up with the Hawks, 101-92 in Game 2. And Utah, 141, Memphis, 129. That series is tied at a game apiece, heading to Tennessee. Take a deep breath. 
And now welcome to the program. I think this might be Ziggy the first time he's been on the show. Hmm. Uh, it has uh, it has taken too long to get him on, and we are pleased to have him. Kyle Bukaskis, uh, the lead reporter uh, on Hockey Night in Canada, covering the uh, Maple Leafs and Habs series. Uh, up bright and early this morning, start of a long day. How are you, pal? Good. I, I think this is the second time I've been on, Scotty. Yeah. I remember I was coming say, on a couple when, years ago. Uh, yeah, when Thomas Shabbat <laughs> signed his extension in Ottawa. I understand right. why it might not be that memorable for you, but uh, I enjoy being on with you. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so when Thomas Shabbat signed his... Yes, because you also, you also do a little work in Ottawa in normal times in the middle of the week. Well, there you go. We're talking Leafs. So this is the first time we're having you on for, for something that we care about. There we go. I don't want to diss okay. the center. I worked in Ottawa for 10 years. I'm allowed to say some things. Um, first of all, like, just tell us what it's been like. Because, I mean, we see you, you know, the, the, the player's got the towel over his shoulder, the famous HNIC towel. You're doing the interviews, this, that, and the other thing. It's been quite different for you this year. Uh, we see in your perch. How, how has it been um, participating in these broadcasts, playing your role uh, from an unusual distance? Yeah, I mean, first off, it's uh, it's a privilege to be able to to do it and to be able to to keep doing it uh, even under these circumstances. But you know, I will say, Sky, like you've been getting uh, an opportunity to do the playoffs in in the bubble last summer between Toronto and Edmonton. I mean, it's it's been you know almost a, a year now. We've kind of been doing it this way, where where everything's been uh, done at at a distance. So. I mean, I, I still haven't gotten used to, to playing in, in empty buildings and, and certainly now in the playoffs where you go from, you know, the first few days of watching the games down in the States and, and the energy that, that the crowds provide. And then you go into your games and it's it's a little bit of a bummer because you're sitting there and thinking, well, oh, geez, what, what could have been for a match like this and, and to have at least, you know, some sort of capacity. And, hey, maybe we still get that with 2,500 in, in Montreal on, on Saturday for, for game six if, if we get there. But um, it's it's been obviously an, an adjustment in, in doing, you know, my, my role from – uh, that position and then just under the the different protocols that are that are in place but um, still just a, a real joy to be able to you know uh, privilege as I say to be in the building to to watch these games and, and do some some storytelling throughout the show it's it's been a lot of fun and and uh, you know it, it, we'll see what kind of compelling stories come out of this one tonight I don't think it's any surprise uh, the Leafs are up in this series and Obviously, the favorites to beat the Canadians. Just looking for your thoughts on what you've seen so far to them and and the Habs, and you know, through through four games. Well, it's yeah, it's been pretty one sided. I've I've found Mike. Um, you know, I, I thought game one was was a bit of an anomaly, just in in all the the worst ways because of the the Tavares injury, and that clearly infected you know affected everyone's uh, mind for the the rest of of the evening. But I thought you know games. Two through four, you know, first periods were were pretty tight, and then in the second, Toronto takes advantage of the long change, and and it's been you know the discrepancy discrepancy has been huge between um, you know the play and, and where the puck is, has spent the majority of its time. They've owned that middle frame, and then in the third period, it seemed like the last few games Montreal's tried to make a push, but you know like we've seen so often in the playoffs during the at least the latter stages of, of the price era here in, in Montreal and then through much of the season under Dominic Ducharme, this is a team that is, has struggled to score. So as you look for, you know, for Montreal going into tonight and, and what kind of 
hope that they'll try to grab onto to to extend this thing. It's just it's it's tough to when you look up and down their lineup, who's going to be the the guy to to finally break through. I mean, you know, Cole Caulfield certainly given them a, a bit of a jolt, and, and he's been dangerous at at times. But I mean, he's only got 12 NHL games under his belt at at this point. So you just look at the amount of guys on on that team that that's gone through, or still going through, you know, lengthy scoring streaks at, at this point, and. Um, you know, it's 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 really. I guess when you you look at it all, it's it's not as big of a surprise that they've only got you know four goals through through four games here. I just think it's been a, a complete effort from Toronto's standpoint and in, in terms of how they've defended and and where they're getting their offense from, guys. I mean, you, you know, you look at Austin Matthews had a had a wonderful game too, but I don't think there's been a game yet where that line has has taken over things and by no means is, is that a criticism by any stretch. They're still working hard. They're not cheating the game. They're, um, they're doing what's, what's required of them. Um, but I think just they, they haven't needed them. I mean, the, the, the depth is, has provided at, at opportune times for them. And so I think it's, it's in the early going answered a, a lot of questions uh, on that front for, for them that, that people may have had. And, and now I think, you know, the final question, at least in terms of, of this series and how it's considered is, you know, do they have that killer instinct to, to finish the job here and, and not let the series go on any longer here tonight? With Kyle Bukaskis on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. You think the Leafs have found something here with Jack Campbell? Not just this year, but going forward? It's certainly looking that way. Like I don't think any of his play has been a mirage, and there's been enough of a, a sample size to suggest that you know this is this is what he is he is becoming or or has become. I, I think you know you go back to just the different uh, the contrast between earlier on in the year where you know he wins 11 straight and then you know a few losses follow and and just how hard he was on himself publicly and saying that you know, I was embarrassed by my efforts and didn't give my team a chance and, and I, you know certainly in some cases uh, more harder on himself than he, he deserved to be and I, I think in you know after game one there he was asked after the game you know did, did you lose your position or lose your net a little bit on, on the one goal and he just said no nah, I felt great about my game all night and kind of left it there and it was just a complete shift in 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 mindset for for him and just knowing like no I'm I'm, I'm good here I, I like the way I'm playing and the way he's followed it up and um, you know in, in game three with Montreal pushing there in the third period he answered the bell every time uh, he goes on back-to-back nights and, and picks up his his first career shutout and and as I say I mean he's he's not exactly um, facing a, a high octane offense there on, on the other side but um, there's nothing he can can do to control that I think he's been um, you know clearly the the teammates trust him there they they love him they love playing for him they play hard for him and um, there's just that sense that um, you know they they know that um, when things go the other way uh, he's going to be there to, to stop it for them and I think that's a, a really powerful thing for for a group in in the playoffs and you no know, Sheldon Keith with all the talk yesterday about how the team has, has come together in the different moments throughout the season and Jack Campbell's certainly been been a big part of that it's 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 been a, a wonderful story and uh, he just continues to to show he's a, a guy that's you know more comfortable in his own skin this year after all he's gone through in his career to this point and and now he's getting an opportunity to shine on the biggest stage for for the very first time and uh, he's just done nothing but deliver I think. It was great to see Tavares back at the practice facility around the guys. I, I know that would mean a lot if if I was you know suiting up every night. They've looked good without him, but I don't know how many teams in NHL right now you could say could make a deep run without their captain. Can this Leafs team do it? 
I guess we'll we'll see. I, I, there's certainly I, I just am, am encouraged by the fact that again you've you've got guys like Alex Kerfoot who I know isn't going to be a, a huge different make difference maker in the grand scheme of things, but um, for him to be able to fill in the the way that that he has and um, you know maybe we'll see a, a Nick Felino back in the lineup tonight. Uh, I'm not sure here yet, uh, but you know they've they've got the depth that, that they haven't had in, you know, in, in a long time. And certainly I think in the, the Brendan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas era, when you know you lose somebody like Tavares, which by no means was, was ideal. Um, you know, it hasn't crippled them from a, a depth perspective. You know, it's, it's just been the ability to, to make some adjustments and, and players being able to, to step up. And, and certainly the, the blossoming of William Nylander in, in the postseason here through four games has, has been a, a big part of that too. So, um, I, I think, you know, just you, you can tell, uh, again, what he means to the group. And as I referenced earlier, just about how this, this team has, has come to, together this year, um, you know, because of how their room dynamic is, the, the players that they have in, in there, and, and just the, the ability to, to go to battle for one another. And, and maybe that sounds a little cliche, but it's just there's certain things that, that you're kind of sensing and, and hearing from them and, and seeing on the ice, really, that, that you haven't in, in years past that, that suggests that, you know, even if, if they've got to go a bit longer here or however long it'll be, that uh, Tavares is, is sidelined here as, as he recovers. Um, they, they've, they've got a chance to uh, at least have the, the makeup of the team and, and the psyche that, that they, can, they can get past it. Because certainly we've seen cases in, in years past where if something doesn't go right for them, you know, maybe there isn't the, the same response that we're seeing here now. With Kyle Bukowskis, the one thing that lingers in the back of my mind is somebody who is cheering for the Maple Leafs, and I made that pretty clear. And one thing that would worry me if I were cheering for the Habs is that from a goals and points perspective, there hasn't been that breakout Matthews-Marner game yet. Like if, and and that, doesn't, that doesn't guarantee that there will be either tonight or at any point in this series for however long it, it is still to go. But having that in your back pocket, like if Austin gets one early and just starts ripping them, I, I, that, that would scare me. There's just so much top-end talent on this Leafs team, and we know that Toffoli had a nice year. Josh Anderson off an injury-plague season in Columbus had a good year for the Canadians. But there's just, between these two teams, Kyle, the guys who can absolutely take over a game and take a team out, I think they reside with the Maple Leafs. Yeah, and and I would agree with you. And yeah, it's, it's, it was, I was I was saying before, Scotty. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, I thought Matthews was was dominant there in, in game two, noticeably with you know three points and, and a goal there. But uh, I'm with you. They they haven't totally taken over a game yet. And and as I say, not a criticism, but uh, they they haven't had to. And and certainly it it could come tonight. It it could come later in the series if it if it goes that far. You know they're capable of. And and I just you know we get uh, I love the stuff that we get through the, the, the gang at, at sport logic and, and they've been tracking, you know, scoring chances so far through this series and, and you know, no surprise one, two in that category between the two teams are, are Matthews and, and Marner. And, you know, Matthews right now is only converted on I think about 3% of, of his chances. And in the regular season, it was hovering around 13%. So I think what that tells you there is that, that he's due. And so whether that comes here tonight remains to be seen, but um, I just think, you know, how, how hard he is he is playing and certainly we've 
you know, it's been entertaining to, to watch, you know, him in, in the scrums and, and the smiling and, and chuckling that you're seeing afterwards. We're just seeing the, the natural evolution of, of number 34 from, you know, a Rocket Richard trophy-winning regular season to, to now, um, you know, even a, a more in, intense and, and more impactful playoffs here yet. And, you know, the points haven't quite come regularly here so far, but um, he's certainly been a factor. And, and, you know, maybe this is the night that, that you see his name and, and Mitch Marner's name and Zach Hyman's name on the, the score sheet a little more because they have controlled the majority of the play when, when they've been on the ice through four games here. You know, maybe it just hasn't quite shown up yet uh, on the score sheet to this point. All right, so we've been having fun with this this morning on the text line to 590-590. The, the Leafs last won a playoff series on April the 20th, 2004, and we've been asking <laughs> our listeners to write in and tell us where they were in their lives what they were doing in their lives. We've had we've had some great responses. Like uh, guy said, I just I just gotten married to my now ex wife. Stuff like that, right? And I've been saying that any kid born around then is almost close to graduating high school. So what were you up to, and where were you in April of two thousand four? <laughs> well, that was so. I think the spring of two thousand four. That was the the one year that I I played you know, spring hockey and, and just a, a little bit of a higher level of hockey from what I did, you know, the rest of my time growing up. So that I think, first of all, that was, that was my peak of my, my hockey playing life <laughs> as a, a kid growing up that spring and being able to play in some neat tournaments that way. But I was actually just thinking about this too. Of course, we know the role that Patrick Alleen played in that night. He's going to be in the building this evening, part of the, the TVR broadcast crew. So, um, you know, maybe that's a, uh, uh, you know, a sign of good fortune for Toronto here as things come for full circle and they try to win a playoff series for the first time since that night. There you go. Uh, it's always good to hear your voice, pal. As always, you're doing great work. And uh, it won't be two years uh, between our next visit. We'll look forward to uh, having you on. We trust the Leafs will advance, and we'll look forward to having you on as the playoffs roll on. Uh, always a pleasure, guys. Take care, and, and thanks again for having me. You bet. Kyle Bukaskis of Hockey Night in Canada. Real good broadcaster. Real good broadcaster. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're all looking forward to tonight's hockey game. It's been, it's been a long time coming. Let's ask Gord Ash, the uh, former Blue Jays general manager, where he was in 2004. So, Gord, thanks for uh, jumping on. We're going to talk a little Alec Manoa. W- had you joined the Brewers by 2004 we're asking this question where were you the last time the Maple Leafs won a playoff series which was April of 04 had you joined the Brewers organization by then yeah it would have been my uh, second year with the Brewers and I'm sure I was trying to find coverage of the game somewhere on a U.S. network which at that point I think was pretty close to impossible okay there you go so hopefully uh, hopefully you can get back and watch it uh, watch it tonight uh, we, uh, before we watch the Leafs, will be all over the Blue Jays this afternoon. Alec Manoa is to make his major league debut, and we think it will be in the first of the two games of today's doubleheader. It was to have happened last night, but there was a rain out at Yankee Stadium. This is a young man who has about 35 or so innings under his belt uh, this year and through his pro career, COVID wiped out the minor league season last year, so he was pitching at the alternate site. I mean, what is a realistic and a fair expectation, Gord, of a 23-year-old college-drafted pitcher with such relatively limited pro experience? 
it would be great if he could jump in and claim a rotation spot, but I don't think that that should be the baseline expectation. No, I think I think, uh, I think obviously you want to see what he can do at this level. I think the essence of player development is to know when to promote somebody, and uh, uh, Blue Jays have shown that they've handled that pretty well in the past with most of their players. I mean, this is not unprecedented. There's, there's been not a lot, but there's several uh, pitchers who have come right to the big leagues without any minor league experience. Jim Abbott comes to mind. Uh, uh, going way back, Sandy Koufax, who was a pretty good pitcher in his time. Chan Ho Park, another guy who came to the big leagues without any minor league experience. So it's not unprecedented. Of course, the Blue Jays did it with a position player with John Olerud. So a lot of it, in my mind, really... Uh, is dictated by the player's level of confidence and and not just uh, how successful he thinks he will be, but how they view he may uh, handle failure because it's going to come. I mean, we've we've seen it with all young pitchers. You're going to have your your times to get beat around. But I think in this particular case, I don't know Alec at all, but he, he appears to be a pretty confident guy. And uh, obviously, he said the success, and uh, you, know, you, can, you can discount the spring training success, but you know the AAA success is, is warranted. And you're right. I mean, we don't know because there are no stats. We don't know how he threw the ball uh, over the course of last year uh, in the alternate site. So that that's something that that no one really knows at this point is a real wild card in his development. Do you think it's better to call up a uh, a player that earns it, or is it okay to bring a guy up to let him get a taste of the major leagues and and then send him back? Like I, I just I have I find it hard to believe that a team would risk a player's development just for the current needs of a team. Maybe you know with the rotation where it's at right now, and that's been the big question. Do you you know how soon is too soon for Pearson and Manoa? Well, I think Pearson's a different story because that's that's uh, related to injury. I mean, he's got tons of ability, but he's never been able to stay healthy. And until he does, you can't really count on him, and that's not been the case with Alec. And I think one of the keys here is that I read somewhere where Ross Atkins went in person to watch Alec's last start, and obviously he came away impressed. So I don't think they're bringing him up, although every player needs that first taste of the big leagues, and a lot of them do go back down before they come back again. But I don't think that's the case here. I think they have a clear need. Uh, they've seen uh, performance. They've seen probably most importantly the fact that he throws strikes. He's not a guy that's all over the place, and that's pretty important. And I do, I do think it's important that he throws the first game today because obviously there's, there's uh, pressure, but I think there's less pressure in that first game. Uh, there'll, there'll be fewer people in the ballpark, and uh, I think that that will make a difference as well. With Gord Ash on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Take us back to 1989 when you guys brought up John Olerud, essentially right out of university, out of college. You signed him and, and, or draft him and sign him, and you bring him to the bigs. You talk about understanding a player's level of confidence or, or what have you. What was it about John? I, I, when I think of John Olerud, other than that sweet left-handed swing and the fact that he is under-discussed as one of the great hitters of his generation... Um, what was it about John Olerud at the time that made it clear to you guys that he could contribute right away and not get messed up by the experience? Well, he went to Instructional League the fall before, so he did have a little taste, although not officially. He did have a little taste of of professional baseball 
maybe 30 or so games the, the fall before. So I, I think the biggest thing with him, and everybody knows this, is his calm demeanor. I mean, this guy didn't get uh, uh, frustrated. He didn't get uh, shaken up. He didn't get uh, nervous about a situation. He was just a very calm presence who was able to keep everything under control. And, you know, we had a we had a lot of first basemen at the time. In fact, during that instruction league, we tried, tried him in the outfield, and that didn't work, so it was pretty clear he was going to need to to be a first baseman. Uh, but, you know, he, such a tremendous swing, a great control of the strike zone, uh, great pet pitch recognition. So, you know, he, you knew he was, he was ready. Well, and having him allowed you to trade McGriff, right? <laughs> With Fernandez for LMR and Carter. And that uh, was everything. Right, the way that it turned out. Yep. Uh, having guys like that. Pretty and, important. Pretty important move in the history of the club. No question about it. What do you, what do you make, generally speaking? And this is a much broader conversation. But uh, in the time that we have, pitching usage in this day and age, and the fact, and this isn't specific to the Blue Jays, although it certainly applies to them, the notion of going into the season with at least one, and in Toronto's case, a couple of starting rotation question marks, trying to patchwork some games with three, four, five arms, suffering bullpen attrition and and having as a result to use lower leverage guys and higher leverage situations, that's come back to bite this team in the last week and a half or so, Gord. I mean, what do you make of the way that teams approach pitching today relative to how it was when you were breaking into the sport a few decades ago? Well, it's completely different. I mean, there was a, there was a great uh, emphasis on starting pitching and starting pitching that could go deep into games. And by deep, I don't mean five innings. I mean seven, eight innings. Uh, and less emphasis on the bullpen. And I think the Rays are probably the best example of, you know, we're not going to spend a lot of money on, on high-achieving starting pitching. We're going to get okay starting pitching, and uh, we're going to really load up the bullpen. And, you know, we saw that again last week where they added a couple of more dominant arms uh, to their bullpen, and, and that's the way they've, they've managed success. And, uh, you know, that works as long as your bullpen is healthy and effective. And, and if your bullpen is not that, you're going to have trouble. Uh, we'll leave it there and appreciate your insight into Alec Manoa and uh, nice walk down memory lane with, with John Olerud. Man, that guy, that guy had a sweet, sweet swing. Huge part of the two world championships as well. Uh, we'll do this again very soon, Gord. Wish you continued uh, good health and success, and we'll, we'll keep tracking the Brewers as well. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Gord Ash, former Blue Jays GM from 1995 to 2001, and before that uh, was Pat Gillick's assistant general manager during the uh, Prime World Series years of the uh, Blue Jays in the early 1990s. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. We were talking earlier about and the aftermath of Popcorn Gate with Russell Westbrook in Philadelphia last night and the whole Trey Young getting spat at situation in New York was gross. But you wanted to know, Ziggy, from the listener text line to 590-590, things you'd like thrown at you. Because popcorn, <laughs> oh, popcorn is all right. You know, it's light. It's not a projectile. It's just, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to knock you out for the week, right? Yeah. You're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Uh, 416 number says Ego Waffles. Okay, that's a reference a to the whole yeah. love a waffle leaf yeah. situation of a number of years ago. Adam from Tottenham, chicken nuggets, throw nuggets at me all day. <laughs> Sausages. 
from a 416 number. There you go. Great okay. Canadian meat. Yeah, there we go. Tying it in. See, the thing I is, like these it. things can't land on the floor, though. you got to be able yeah, to catch you, them. you got to catch that stuff. Because yeah. that's, that's, that's dinner. <laughs> uh, you guys are thinking too basic here. Why not something fun like money? Throw money at me <laughs> from an unsigned. Why, why some people just won't sign off on their text from a 905 number. And throw me some French fries from a 705 number. There you go. I was like, throw money. I'm like, I was like, where have I been when somebody threw money? I've been out. Where have I been when somebody's made it rain? No, Mm. honestly, no, no. I was in Vegas. I'll tell you a story. I know we don't have much time right now, but I was in Vegas one time and (laughs) LeBron James was there at the same time. LeBron James. All of a a sudden. (laughs) And all of a sudden, uh, money started to go everywhere. And I'm on like the bottom floor. We're at a table, all my buddies. And and then all of a sudden, money's flying everywhere. We're like, what is happening? There's like dollar bills and $5 bills going everywhere. And somebody's like, oh, LeBron James is up there throwing money off the balcony, off like one of the top floors at a club <laughs> in Vegas. <laughs> so I, I, that's the only time I've ever, you know, you see like music yep. videos or you see, you hear about, you're watching a movie, like there's money going everywhere. Like that's the only time I've ever seen money actually getting tossed around me is LeBron James. There you go. You have been in LeBron James's orbit. That's that's what I take away from that. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. Anthony Stewart, Justin Bourne. Will the Leafs finish it off tonight? They should get them a little bit of rest before playing Winnipeg. And we'll get into Minnesota Vegas. It's a seven-game series. And the Islanders putting away the Penguins and more coming up. With Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm in the Robert Gertan Arena in Gatineau, Quebec, in between whistles, a junior hockey game. All right, Stewie. Well, this is uh, Zigamanis with uh, Mike Camilleri and Anthony Aquino on floor two of Palazzo in 19, <laughs> year 2001. Floor Just two. Like- Floor two, yeah. yeah, Just like the acrylic, like, painted on black pants, not tapered. Yeah, glow glow sticks. Skipping ropes. Who's who's, who's going to the bar to buy the next round of soda pops? Like, literal soda. No, no, yeah. It was all ages, all ages. No alcohol allowed. Vodka, cranberry. Oh, no. No alcohol then. (laughs) You still don't drink any alcohol. Who are you kidding? Well, it's I have the odd drink. Come on. I have the odd drink. Yeah. Oh, come on, vegan wine? It's out there. Vegan wine. <laughs> Ziggy just buzzed off that kombucha, oh, yeah. that extra strong oh, kombucha. Yeah. yeah, you give me two grape uh, GT kombuchas, watch out. <laughs> well, hold on a second. We got to talk hockey, but vegan wine? What, there's wine with dairy or meat in it? 
No, well, <laughs> all wine is like processed with like there's like a fish bladder or something in all the ah, the wine pro. Who is Ziggy let's, kidding? Yeah, he won't just get drinks into fermented it. fermented celery juice. That's all he does. <laughs> <laughs> and the key word is fermented. What a buzz! What a buzz! <laughs> I don't know what fermented is, but they do, and they're the ones <laughs> fermenting it. All right, Stewie and Bourne for Hockey Central at 8.30 at 8.41 uh, here on a, a Thursday morning. Uh, boys, like, I, I mean, uh, this is probably the broadest and, and most simple comment that could be made about the uh, Leafs-Habs series. Like, just get it the hell over with. And I, I don't mean to sound disrespectful to the Habs, although I kind of sort of do. Winnipeg has cleared Edmonton. They're sitting around waiting there's no need to overcomplicate this. Get it done tonight. Avoid a return to the Bell Center. Avoid a deep series. Get a few days rest. Get ready for the peg. Get it done tonight. Stewie, start with you. Yeah, I think the Leafs are sort of running away with the series, hence uh, the song that we played at the top of the hour. But uh, what I like about this Maple Leaf team now, it's not the Austin Matthews show or the Mitch Marner show. They're getting it done by committee, and that's what separates this Leaf team from years past. They're doing it. they got depth. they got, uh, obviously, Nylander standing out. Uh, Kerfoot has uh, a pretty good series right now. Galchaniak had a great game four, too. So it's not uh, discounting the Montreal Canadiens, but the Toronto Maple Leafs have been the better team by far this series yeah no it's uh it, this strikes me as a situation where the past versions of the toronto maple leafs would find a way to to trip themselves up uh and this is one of those okay are you really different than past versions of the toronto maple leaf moments and you know i i think they are you know i like in figuring how this could go wrong for them you know playing out the scenarios where the habs win uh, in my head it just comes down to goaltending like if carry price gets weird and gets carry price you know hot and then jack campbell can't be as good as he's been maybe there's a way but honestly outside of that i can't see a way they can't score any goals montreal they don't have anyone up front who just has, has any offensive firepower right now and it's been kind of a uneventful series right like everything else has had overtimes we've had lead changes but the Leafs Habs it's been a lot of nothing is that a good thing for the Leafs Justin yeah I think so you know that's kind of the the case I've been making about them the whole new Leafs thing is that like in the past they didn't have the ability to play boring hockey like this is exactly what you would want from this team they get up they protect the lead kind of nothing happens and the game ends like that's the dream but in the past it was the Jake Gardner moment the Cody Ceci moment the you know the, the collapse the breakaway against the short you know whatever it is it's just they, they seem to be able to keep those disasters from happening so uh, the veteran experience is paying off for them uh, you know, down the lineup from Spezza to Thornton to Simmons and then Bogosian and Brody, all those guys have made a huge difference in their ability to play boring hockey. Yeah, and it seems like uh, the expectation is for this team to go on a deep, deep run. And you're going to have to play that boring hockey against teams like Carolina or if you go all the way, maybe a Colorado. You saw that Vegas game last night versus uh, Minnesota. Maybe Ziggy didn't because he was sleeping at 8 p.m. I actually, but... did. I actually did watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was an uneventful game. Minnesota slowed that game completely yeah. down. I think it was 12 shots apiece halfway through the game, too. So you have to find a way to play to your strengths, but you know, sort of uh, detract the other team's strengths as well. I feel like a lot of people are saying, told you so about William Nylander. And I'm sitting here going, no, 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 no. This is the William Nylander that almost everybody who isn't an idiot 
uh, knows exists and has known has existed for a long time. It's just that we're getting the guy at a key time of year on a more consistent basis as in very unfortunate ways, particularly with John Tavares, his regular line mates have have fallen around him. I, I liken Nylander to Vladdy Jr. on the baseball front, guys, that everybody knows there's a lot in there. They just want to see that a lot that's in there on a more consistent basis far more often. Like, yeah. I, I think Nylander's proven everybody right. His supporters and even his detractors who were just maddened by the inconsistency. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree with that more, and I've written on this before. The, the reason he's so frustrating is because everyone agrees he's good. You know, it's I don't know anybody who's like, you know, the, the harshest Nylander haters uh, aren't sitting there going, the guy sucks. Like, he doesn't. He clearly doesn't. The problem, you know, that people have is consistency because, boy, when he's on, he's he's unbelievable. So it's he's in a tough spot, right, if you're Willie, because you can't prove anyone wrong. You go out and play well, everyone's like, see, told you he can be that guy, and, and no one gets proven wrong. He's in a tough spot there. Yeah, he definitely is. And, and I think the problem is in this market, when things go wrong, the microscope shifts. And in years past, this team, you know, it's like, well, this team has no truculence. It has no guys running around. What's Willie doing, by the way? So I think the, the microscope just shifts on him. But uh, I think the the Neanderthals, you know, they 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 overrate him a bit. But um, the way that he's been playing as as of late in this series, he is probably in the same conversation as best player uh, in these playoffs. So that's what they need. They're going to have to do it by committee. They need different guys stepping up at different times. But Neander, right now, his consistency is key, and I think that's what's uh, everyone's noticing. Every single shift, you're noticing him doing something out there. Well, 2018, I did say on the radio with Stewie that I wouldn't trade Nylander for Taylor Hall, and Stewie actually dug into me for the whole hour of the show, oh, telling false. me how crazy false. I was. Check and the I just on that one. <laughs> Come up with a better line than that. Like, you know, the sun comes the sun comes up at 3:30 in the morning. Ziggy, come on, buddy. Uh, you go after Bob, the yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how dismissive you're being. No, that never happened. You can't prove it. I never said that. Don't put words in my mouth. That's very politics uh, in 2021. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, yeah, but no, he's, yeah, I think he's been the best player on the ice. Um, with Tavares out now, Felino, we're not sure what's going to happen. Guys like Kerfoot have come in, have been excellent. Engvall's being physical. Are, uh, what do you think with Felino and Tavares out? Borny, we start with you on on what this team will look like going forward if this Felino injury, you know, is going to go longer than just this Hab series. Well, they're in an interesting spot here for the Leafs because you never want to take anything for granted. Like, oh, my God, get this series done. You know, dress your best lineup, yada, yada. But they're up three games to one in the series, and you wonder if that doesn't play into should they dress Felino tonight or not. You know, it's maybe not as pressing to force him back into action, and maybe you can give him another couple of days rest here by, by not dressing him. My other question is, like, Riley Nash looks like, I don't know what's a polite way to say he looks really bad, but um, I'm not going to use it. He just, he's looked really bad. So could, should you get him in the, yeah. yeah. So should he get him in the lineup again tonight and just see, let him try to find his game because he can be an important player when he's playing like he can. So, you know, how much do you want to just maximize your team tonight, get Felino in, keep Nash out, 
win the hockey game versus saying, okay, we have an opportunity to, to get Nash going and rest Felino and, and dress sort of a different lineup. Yeah, and I think with uh, Felino and Tavares out, they are a better team with these guys in the lineup, but I think it just speaks to this team's depth. And I do remember Ziggy saying on this program, hey, you need to get Kerfoot out of town, but that just shows now when you get an opportunity and there's been four or five guys, excuse me, let me finish, four or five guys on this team that have been pushed down the lineup and their minutes have been crunched because of the top four and the way that this team is constructed. So they've they've been great players all along. Kerfoot's been a great player, I think, all season. Engvall now, you can see what he can do with some meaningful minutes. Adam Brooks was in the lineup the other night after being pulled out, uh, you know, playing a, a half-decent uh, 11 games. So they have the depth, and you're going to need that going forward too. So you probably don't want any more injuries, but this team's equipped uh, to sort of handle this in the short term. Man, we got we to dig up the tape of all of this stuff. But Justin, to your <laughs> point about politics, Politics 2021. Politics 2021 is about claiming somebody said something, producing the tape of them actually saying it, and then having that person say, "No, that's Still not me. Say, no, that's yeah. not me. No, that <laughs> didn't happened. actually happen." That didn't. You, you, yes, you're hearing it, and it is my voice completing that sentence. But that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I, and and then just and just going from there. Uh, let's bounce around. Uh, Winnipeg, Edmonton. So, what kind of conversations? is Connor McDavid having these days in the aftermath? Like, I would imagine there's incredible frustration to have been swept out, but every game was close. Three of the four of them went to overtime. The other one, game one, was actually a one-goal game that ended up with a couple of empty netters to turn it into a three-goal game. And that guy was dragging two or three jets up the ice at times. Like, you know, this gets back to treatment of the stars in this sport. Like, Winnipeg did what it had to do to Connor McDavid, and they weren't getting called for it. So if you're not going to get called for it and sit in the penalty box, what am I going to do? I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep water skiing. Yeah, and that's the thing. You keep pushing it, right? You're like, all right, I got away with that. Didn't get called. Let me try it a little harder, a little worse next time. You just sort of feel out the refs. Connor McDavid drew zero penalties in that playoff series. Uh, Last year in playoffs, he drew zero penalties against the Blackhawks in the last four games. Uh, It's it's unbelievable, man. Like, he's the best player in the world, and, and people can't touch him, and they pull him down, hang off him, and there's no calls. You know, the NHL has to find a way to become more like the NBA in terms of protecting its stars. The NFL made the quarterback rule, so you could, you know, partially protect their stars. Like, you just can't, there's nothing in hockey for these guys. And everyone in hockey says, ah, it's hockey, you got to toughen up. It's like, well, why does that guy who's so much better than everyone else have to play to a different standard than your average player? So it's definitely a sore spot with the league right now. Yeah, if I wanted to hear about the uh, treatment of the stars, I would turn over to channel Instagram and listen to Versteeg cry about it for uh, 20 minutes. But every player in this league is two bad seasons from being a bub. So you, you can't say protecting the stars. Ziggy, you know, you played back, you know, you got you won a cup with Pittsburgh. Imagine how the treatment was of Crosby. Go watch Myro Lemieux. Go watch guys hanging off of Yarmir's, uh, Yager's mullet uh, in the early 90s. You know, so playoff So they hockey, did it. Why totally should they have to do it now? It's a totally mm-hmm. different beast. And that's why. <laughs> It's the hardest Stanley Cup to win. No one's sitting there winning the cup. Look at the pictures of those commercials with uh, Clark winning the cup with no teeth in his head. You got guys bleeding. You got guys crying. You're not winning this with a high top fade and, and, a, and a mullet. You got to bleed to win this cup, and that's how it is. And I'll, and I'll, and that's how it is as a player. That's what the players expect. That's what the coaching expect. That's what the organizations expect. So, Coming out of the uh, pandemic. Guys used, guys used to wear leather helmets in football, man. We get better. We figure this stuff out and make you know, some changes. I don't want to see better. the power play. I don't want to see the cup one on a power play sorry 
Well, I've grown I've grown my hair out in the pandemic, Stewie. You've just given me an idea. Maybe I'll go with the high top mullet. No, your long hair okay? looks it's glorious. In, don't touch it. <laughs> don't, don't touch it. Borny loves it. By the way, was yeah. Papa Born doing a a jig in the living room celebrating last night or what? Yeah, there's some happy some happy people on the the Born and Gillies uh, sides both. So it's uh, it was a good day yesterday. No one's happy with me. I didn't pick the Islanders to win the series. I'm gonna get seven of eight right, and I missed the Islanders, so, so that's not gonna go over well. So are are the Islanders gonna take out the Bruins? Are, are we gonna be talking about ex Leaf Lou Lamorello? In the final four, or are we going to talk about the nightmare about Boston Bruins? Presuming the Leafs get there, which is a presumption, I know. But, like, honest to God, are we going to deal with Lou or are we going to deal with the Bruins? Yeah, uh, probably. Uh, you know what? I'm not betting against the Islanders twice. I'll say they'll yeah, I'll say they get there in seven. <laughs> Islanders. And, and Vegas, Minnesota. Who wins game seven? I got Vegas going away. I can't believe this series has been that close. It's been insane. Yeah. They yeah, need Reeves Vegas, back in. Vegas. Vegas, yeah, I'm Vegas as well. Boys, we'll do it again next Thursday, and hopefully um, we're into the Leafs-Jets second-round series, the uh, Scotia North Division final. Wouldn't that be nice? Look forward to it. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, boys. Anthony Stewart, Justin Bourne, Hockey Central at 8.30 each and every Thursday here on Leadoff Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Elliot Friedman will be among the guests tomorrow morning. We'll have two Blue Jays games to look at as well. Alec Manoa's Major League debut And maybe we can start teeing up the Leafs and the Jets if the Leafs get it done tonight. Enjoy your Thursday. Good shows next. That's what I'm saying, Brooksy.